Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Dr. Love. Stand aside, nurse. I'm Dr. Homebrew. What's going on, Brewing Network? It's Dr. Homebrew, and we are back here with a special show. It's not really a homebrew related show, although, you know, maybe we could we could uh, con our guest into a little bit of brewing information, maybe just a little bit. But uh, on today's show, Brian and Brian and myself are joined by Matthias from the Schlenkerla Brewery in Bomberg, Germany. Matthias, welcome to the show. Jason, thank you very much for the invitation and for having me. I think we're going to have a fun night tonight with some smoke beer. I think so, I think so too. Um, so for you, it's seven o'clock in the evening ish about, right? You just right. got done working and then now you're here, you know, working again. Um, over here, it's 10 in the morning and we just all woke up. So <laughs> this is going to be perfect. Um, perfect time awesome. for a morning pint. Yeah. Or uh, we have four, we have four smoked beers from the uh, historic Schlinkerla Brewery. And uh, this is go, and it's all in one show. And we're going to talk, and we're expected to be coherent. And I don't know how that's going to happen. I was telling my wife, it's sort of a double-edged sword doing this show because number one, I, this is I'm, I'm fascinated with smoke beer. I've I've you know sort of had uh, been in love and and then sort of forgotten about over the course of my beer knowledge. You know, smoke beer. But Schlinkerla is like the apex predator of smoke beers. It's the top, right? And it, I'm disappointed because I, I probably won't be able to drink all four of these beers <laughs> this morning. And then, you know. But, you, but then, you can sample all of them. But I can sample all of them. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's great because we get this this conversation. I'm very excited about it. I got a bunch of notes. But I can't I can't drink it all. So, uh, you know, it'll be well, it'll be ceremoniously sacrificed if, if I can't. Maybe I'll maybe I'll wait. I'll just sip on it throughout the day. Because uh, you know this beer, even even room temp is 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 amazing. Okay, so, yeah, we're gonna be you can bring to the beer altar at home. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll give it to Brian. Brian Brian Cooper down there. Yeah. has a a car boy that he's like a sour beer project. Where sometimes like the weird dregs, he'll just pour in this car boy and then force yeah. us to taste it. It's weird. Maybe I'll just give it all to you, Brian. Like the the dump bucket sour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So some of this beer will live on. I, I think. I, I may just do, uh, you know, I'm switching from coffee or doing side by side with coffee and beer and then Same. maybe just a little more coffee <laughs> after the session here and we can drink some more of it in the evening. So there you go. I have another suggestion for you. What we do, like in our brewery pub, we all pour from the wooden barrels mm-hmm. traditionally. And when there's something left at the end of the day in the wooden barrel, which doesn't happen every day, but every now and then when you kind of miscalculate how thirsty the customers are, um, that beer you cannot use the next day because it's going to be stale, but the beer is perfectly fine. So we actually take that to a distiller and have a beer brand made out of it, a beer liquor. See, okay. Uh, oh, wow. See, we're just going to get right into it. Well, actually, for, I'm going to actually, I can't 
can't. First of all, the show is brought to you by the folks at Five Star Chemicals. Go to fivestarchemicals.com, join their homebrew club program. You get a bunch of free stuff. You get monthly informational, uh, you know, information things. My head is spinning. I apologize because you said distilling, and now I'm like, now I'm I'm all I'm all kerfuffled. Uh, anyway, su- support Five Star cleaning, sanitizing. That's what you have to do to make good beer, especially at home, especially at home, but uh, even more so probably in a commercial brewery. You need to clean your equipment first, then you need to sanitize it, then you're good to go. You can make uh, the best smoked beer in the world if you just make sure your equipment is fine. Well, at least you can try. Uh, (laughs) Make sure your equipment is clean and sanitary. Anyway, thanks to Five Star. Uh, Yes, distilling. So I saw on your website, and I I don't know much, you know, uh, when I was first getting into this, uh, actually a couple months ago, I sort of fell back in love with with your beers. And I went on the website, and I was like, what else are they doing? Because smoked beer has to be sort of a hard market to, to, or a hard product to sell, I guess. And this is, this is what I want to talk about sort of, you know, while we're, you know, weave this in and out of our conversation about the beers and tasting the beers is how you have a, a, a beer that's been made for literally centuries um, in, in how you compete in this, in this sort of evolving modern palette, I guess, of, of craft beer. How do you do well, that? It's a very general question and I'll just let you go. <laughs> That's it, 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 that's really a very general question, and yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of issues in the modern market which uh, a brewery has to deal with, from energy prices to labor shortage, and and all these problems, which probably are more or less similar in the states, maybe some not as intense as here and yeah. some of the other way around. But there's a lot of challenges in that government regulations, rules you have to follow. Uh, you mentioned the sanitation, which always was a big thing for breweries. But nowadays you have so and so, so, and so many more food laws you have to follow uh, in the United States registered with the FDA and stuff like that. So there's a lot of, of, of background. Um, Regarding the competition point of view, I think um, the story is a little bit different for Schlenkeler because um, what we basically do is we we were not a modern style craft brewery and we're not really competing with craft breweries in that respect as to, you know, have a huge diversity in beer flavors and uh, be innovative all the time and have like 20 new beers every year. Yeah, That's not what Schlenkele is about. Schlenkele is about preserving what uh, used to be the standard for beer and what used to be common in all the breweries. And it had died, has died out in virtually all the breweries, except Schlenkele and the Spezial here in Bamberg, so only us two. Um, and for us, the important thing really is, it looks differently, I know, but for us, the important thing is the local market. So the, the vast majority of the beer we brew is sold here in Bamberg in, uh, in local taverns. It's sold in local supermarkets. Uh, our own brewery pub makes up for more than 20% of what we sell. Wow. And um, Bamberg attracts a lot of visitors because it's a very beautiful uh, historic town. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Town. Um, it has the largest intact old quarter of all German cities because there was no bombing here in World War II. We still have all the historic oh. uh, buildings. Yeah, it looks um, that's beautiful. A, I didn't realize that. It's, it's a town of 70,000 residents, and we have 2,000 protected houses alone. And then wow. there's a lot of other things, and museums, Jeez. and a big cathedral, and a beautiful town in the water, et cetera, et cetera. So we have a lot of visitors every year, uh, mainly from Germany, actually, <laughs> uh, wanting to see that. And um, 
within that and combined with the local regular customers and a lot of students are coming uh, to our brewery like we have 12,000 students in town Bamberg is a university town as well oh, and wow. that that is like the the basis and the core of of the entire uh Schlenkeler operation so, so you don't get you don't get many calls for like hey do you have an IPA or I would really love a pilsner or even just even no. even like the the more, you know, the German style is like a Hellas or, you know, like a clear, no. you know, nothing like that. Nothing, just your smoked beer no. and that's what you do. Schlenkel is all it. about smoked beer. Yeah. Schlenkel is all about smoked beer. We have expanded the smoked beer range in, in the last 20 years under my reign, if you want to call it that. <laughs> I do, yeah. Um, <laughs> when when I took over from my father, well, there was the classic Merzen smoked beer. There was a Bock beer for the fall time. Mm -hmm. And my father had introduced a smoked wheat beer. So these are still in the assortment, all of course. Um, there is a pale lager from Schlenkeler, but it also has a slight smoky aroma and flavor to it because uh, the smoke is carried over by the yeast from the previous smoked beer batch. And wow. the pale lager was introduced by my great-grandfather in the 1920s. Um, that's a whole different story, basically. Uh, yeah. we, we can talk about that later uh, on, maybe more in detail. Yes. But all these were uh, uh, barley malt smoked beers. So um, what, what I started to do, um, uh, it was pretty much the first thing. I did more variations of that. Like mm -hmm. we had a uh, smoked Lent beer, which is an unfiltered smoked beer. Which we have um, and we will drink. Which, which you have in, in the can, yeah. I think, yeah. right? Yep, yep. Um, so that's something for the time of Lent. Then we introduced uh, a summer beer, the Summer Kreuzen, which is a blend of the pale lager and, and the smoked beer. And I think most importantly, in 2009, we started the Oak Smoke Double Bock, um, a beer made with a uh, oak smoke malt rather than a beach smoke malt. And uh, uh, interesting. Which, which results in a totally totally different flavor and uh the 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 oak smoke is much more subtle in the smoke or much smoother in in the smoke flavor mm -hmm. than the beach is the beach is relatively harsh and intense in the smoke and uh, uh the oak is is much less of that and it combines perfectly with the aromas of a bock beer like the sweet character the bready character the smoothness of the box with a high alcohol. So we uh, turned that into a double bock with 8% uh, alcohol. Okay. 8, 8, we 8 have that ABV. Very good. I think, yeah, yeah, you have it there as well. So go, and, going back to the yeah. pale lager real fast, I apologize. So so you make a you make your smoke beer, your Meriton or whatever, and then you take the yeast into the pale lager. So the pale lager is not made with smoke malt? Exactly. There's, there's no smoke malt. Wow. It, it's just carried over. Like It's a little bit carried over in the malt mill because obviously you're sure. not totally clearing out the malt mill before the pale mm -hmm. lager malt comes. So yeah. there might be a residue smoke malt in there. But the real effect comes comes with the yeast that carries it over. Yeah, I was wondering so about that. It's a great idea, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's very Well, because very especially on, on like the homebrew side, we talk about that often where if you're going to reuse yeast – you don't want to go hoppy to less hoppy or whatever right. because you because it's that same thing, but that's what you're going for. Um, I don't know what the original intent was from from the flavor point of view because that's like hundred years ago, and my okay. grandfather, a great grandfather, didn't take notes of that. The okay. reason, excuse me, yeah. the reason why he introduced uh, the pale lager in the first place was this was after World War One. Uh, with a huge economic crisis in Germany, there was the hyperinflation. I'm 
don't know whether you're aware of that, but basically bit, yeah. the, the currency was totally devaluated. And in the end, you paid like a billion marks for a loaf of bread. And, and uh, it was, yeah, it's still stuck in the uh, uh, conscience uh, or in the, in, in the society mind of the Germans. And we're always like, ooh, inflation, horrible, and don't devalue our, our money because we've gone through... Th two devaluations in the last in the last century after the two world wars yeah. and my grandfather for instance after world war ii he started with um they called it kopfgeld uh head money mm -hmm. every person got 40 marks and that was it and you started with that and all your other money was gone so uh wow. really 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 extreme <laughs> really really extreme times and for those people who had houses or other property they made an extra tax in order to uh they called it um, um, the the uh, how to say that the balancing uh, or the equalness of war deficits. Okay, so like when a rebalancing or something, yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. So uh, those people that only had cash, they were obviously hidden the worst. And, yeah. Yeah, but if you had a house, uh, you had to pay like ten percent of the value of the house into a special tax, and that was a really fund with which they did others. So Jeez. they tried to level that somehow. But with companies, obviously, that didn't work because you, did, you needed to reinvest, or the value was technically zero because the machinery was gone and yeah so anyhow that's in 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 the in the mind of a lot of germans still when they're talking inflation so that's why everybody's like wooing at the moment with the current high rates so in that situation my great grandfather got a contract from the uh, local train station from the reichsbahn the train system to supply them with beer and um, they said, yes, we take your smoke beer. Okay. But we want a regular lager as well. So, uh, and they were dire times. So that was the, the point where you said, okay, we do the pay lager. Ah. And uh, since there was no um, yeast management in the way that you use uh, fresh yeast for every batch, which sometimes breweries do these days with a yeast propagator and stuff like that, but that didn't exist a hundred years ago. Yeah. So you had a continuous reuse of yeast and you took it from one batch to the next, to the next, to the next and there was always that residue smoke flavor in there and the pale lager became something of the craftsman beer here in the mm. area so a lot of uh, craft people uh, took it to the construction sites and stuff like that uh, it had a very mm, uh, minimalistic label only with the bavarian flag on it and only blue and white and cool. um, so yeah it was like a secret tip in a way and people were like yeah it has a little smokiness in there and um, so yeah so that was a, the sidekick okay. of the Schlenkeler Brewery. But it never was a major brand or a major sell for us and still is. And it's like, I don't know, 5 to 10% of what we do. God. So um, Schlenkeler is smoke beer. That's really the mm, that's equivalent. The yeah. Well, yeah. let's let's open this Merton. Talk a little bit about that. And then I want to talk about the history of the brewery and, and smoke beer in general. Let's pop this open. Well, and yeah, you're, you're, you, you sound like a beer historian because uh, you know all these things. And I'd love to hear from a German perspective a little bit of the, uh, the history of the Meritzen style in general, as well as the, the smoked Meritzen, because, you know, you're brewing this in March for release in the, in the fall, lagering it in caves in the summer. Uh, but also I, I read, you know, in the guidelines, it states that this used to be a, uh, uh, a designation of the strength of the beer that it hit a certain strength. And that was why it was a Meritzen back in the old days. But I would love a little, t your take on that and a little history. Before we talk so long, we drink a bit, I'd say. I'm for that. <laughs> I mean, when I open the beer, it's, I don't know, two feet away from me and 
I can smell it right away. Mm-hmm. Just the smoke, the light smoke, very, very light, very, um, just a nice little muslin blanket of like smoke flavor, uh, aroma. Distant campfire. Yeah. I mean, that <laughs> head is awesome. You know, yeah. giant head, the, you know, nice dark amber copper color, I guess. It's hard to see in the the camera yeah what what amazes me about about these beers is they can come all the way from germany probably beaten to hell and back with you know temperatures and you know coming to rail car across over here to the west coast and it tastes great oftentimes well, we yeah. get imported beers and they're not you know you can tell there's maybe a little raisinness or a little they're not really f- fresh but you know i think there's you don't there's get two factors that there's two factors that play into this first of all smoke is has always been a natural preservative. Hmm. Um, you smoke meat, you smoked other things to 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 preserve the flavor, and the smoke, the intense smokiness, really helps in that respect. The other uh, factor is our importer in the United States, Be United. Um, they're a really excellent company, and they do uh, a great effort in maintaining high quality. So, for instance, when you say that they're beating in the uh, the beer gets a beating in the container and something like that, that doesn't happen at Be United because they oh. always book a container below the waterline um like you you can can, yeah yeah yeah. it costs extra obviously but uh that way you make sure in the atlantic that works if you ship beer to australia it doesn't help because you're going through warm water but (laughs) in in, uh in in the atlantic it works because you make sure that the beer doesn't go above a certain uh, limit and i don't know about shipping within the united states but i presume they do something uh, the same there like reefer containers or something like that they they must use a reefer There's, there's most there ha- of the European be, stuff right? comes in the New York or Jersey and it gets put in the train and it goes across the country and there's a big desert in the middle of the United States. Right. Uh, and if you don't right. have a reefer, it'll just get cooked in that desert. Right, right. And then you destroy the flavor and, and yeah. you get uh, the, you get the cloudiness and all that. So that that yeah. absolutely won't work. That's that's true. I love but, the attention uh, to detail from from not only you, but your distributor as well to make sure this beer comes and, and it's be- – it's such a labor-intensive beer. I was on your website several times, uh, you know, just going through the process, and it struck me like you guys are germinating your own malt. You roast your own malt. You smoke it. You know, when you when you're drying it, you use the beech wood, and we'll talk a little bit about that too. And ha- have you ever thought about, or ha- have there been conversations over the years of like, look, maybe we should just go to like Vireman or something like that, and and have them do it for us to save some money, or is it about? It's less about the money and more about the culture and the and the, the process of the end product, like what you're sort of preserving from the, you know, what, 1400s or something like that? Well, if if the whole story what, uh, would have been about the money, we could have sold out to one of the big players a long time ago for mm. lots of money, like so many others did. But that never was the issue. Like, I run the Schlenkel in the sixth family generation, and behind me, maybe you can see that a little bit, is like all my ancestors, the ancestor line, the direct family line. And I'm Each actually of these... tearing up at that. Like, it makes me very emotional to like have such a connection with your with your family history like that. It, I don't know. It, it, I'm honestly like a little emotional about it. I think it's cool. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, You're like, all right, I'm... dude, <laughs> calm down. No, no, that that's okay. That's that's okay. Um, I'm yeah. I'm not the big emotional type. I'm I'm more the analytical person. Like, sure. At, at least that's what my wife says all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but I, I think regarding family history, I can relate because I see it exactly that way. Um, obviously, you have other options when you go in, in into your business life or your professional life. And yeah. um, I lived in Canada for a year, so my English is okay, I guess. So I, I would have these options to, to go other countries. But being able to continue a family tradition like that is so, so unique. 
And there's only a few places in the world where you can do something in, in that sort. Yeah. Um, we started early on talking about the software companies modern days. Of course, these are huge corporations, but there's no family history there. There couldn't be because it's just new new stuff, right? Yeah. And when when I look at the board at the wall behind me with all the pictures from my ancestors, for each of these people, I knew or I know what contribu what contribution they have done for Schlenkler. Um, what their uniqueness was. And uh, there, there's this phrase, you're standing on the shoulder of giants. And I, I think that's very literal, uh, literally what, what, what's happened here in, in a historic brewery like that. The mere fact that we're doing smoke beer today is in part, at least, uh, the achievement of the people back there because they decided to continue that. Hmm. So that's a huge chance. That's a huge uh, uh, rewarding job, but it's also um, a legacy, a... Um, a uh, uh, something you need to continue, like, I don't want to call it burden, but an obligation. Yeah. Um, so the question of whether to discontinue uh, our own malt production and acquire the malt, outside the question of flavor quality and flavor composition, et cetera, but that question, and I never posed myself. Of, of course, you have certain things you look into on the technology level, like, for instance, we don't have a horse carriage anymore. We use a, a modern truck to ship our beer. So we do some modern things. Now. The, the brew house is computerized these days. Mm -hmm. And um, we're actually in the, at the moment in the process of getting new germination boxes. So they're going to be renewed. Um, so we do in, invest in that area, but the question to outsource the core of what Schlenkele is, that's not a question. I mean, then, then we would be a brewery like any other else. And uh, yeah. I, I, for myself, would, would not like that. And uh, I, I think um, I'm on a good way at, in conveying that to my children. So they're like 8 and 11 now, so still lots of time. Yeah. But um, I have the strong hope and uh, that one day they're going to see it the same way. Was that instilled on you as a child as well? Or is it something you really gravitated towards more as an adult? Um, it, I wasn't forced to take over or it wasn't, you know, like uh, infused into me or instilled, as you say it. Uh, but it was always present, obviously, like when we sat together for lunch, for dinner, whatever, my parents were always talking about the business because business and private li life, when you run a place like this, it's not separated. Um, I'm, I'm sitting now in my office in the first floor above the brewery pub, and this used to be my children's room. So, God. yeah, I grew up here and That's I turned cool, it into yeah. my office right. and my parents lived in the second floor. Um, my, my mother died a couple of years ago. My father moved next door. So he still also lives in the tavern. So it, it's always it's, it's always there. Yeah. It's always that, there. That's so and, great. And so, does it always um, smell yeah. a little bit smoky there? <laughs> uh, where you are right no, now? <laughs> no, it actually does not because the brewery is 10 minutes up the hill. Okay. <laughs> okay good. Ah, gotcha. I, I have an I have another office in the brewery, so there, yes, it's always a little bit smoky. <laughs> but already, that is an interesting story from from a preservation point of view or from a historical point of view. Bamberg, nowadays, has seventy thousand residents and some ten or so breweries. It depends on how you count and who's connected, how and etc. But it's roughly ten. One hundred fifty years ago, there were like seventy breweries with half the population, and the breweries were much smaller at the time. And at the time, all the breweries were spread out over town. And the lagerings, however, they were all on one of three hills, the Stephansberg, the Kaulberg, or the Jakobsberg, because back then there was no artificial cooling. So if you wanted to do lager beers, you needed rock cellars in order to make that beer. 
So in the case of Schlenkerle, the beer back then was brewed here in the back building of uh, the, the brewery pub. And after the brew, it was transported with horse carriages up the hill. And the beer was then hosed down with leather hoses into uh, uh, the rock cellars, and then it was fermented and lagered there. And after the maturation was complete, the beer would be transported back in smaller wooden barrels, in pouring barrels, so tapping barrels. It would be to the tavern to be sold. It would be poured, basically pumped in or whatever through hoses. So the barrels stayed in the caves, and the beer just um, traveled there. Is that exactly what you mean? okay? All right. Exactly. Huh. There, there, there was a horse carriage barrel, like yeah. uh, one big barrel on 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 one carriage. Uh -huh. So that was uh, transported up, yeah. and then with a leather hose, it was uh, pumped, sucked down by natural gravity, basically. Like you, yeah, you 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 suck in a bit, wow. a, a little bit, and then the guy at the other end of that. What a good job that was. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I always assumed went... the barrels just got moved into Me the too. cave. That's really interesting. I, I did not know that. In German brewers' uh, uh, language, even today, when you bring the beer from the fermentation vessel to the lagering vessel, this is called Schlauchen. And Schlauch is the German word for hose. So we still call that hosing, even though today, of course, it's, wow. it's stainless steel pipes. Hmm. So and wow. that, that's, that's the background story. The wooden barrel transport existed also because at the end of the lagering, you bring it into smaller wooden barrels. 30, 40, 50 liters, something of that sort. And those barrels then were transported out of the rock cellars, originally over stairs with like a, um, a railway system and later on with elevators. Mm -hmm. uh, we still have that elevator and we still use it because we still fill our wooden barrels that way in the rock cellars. And then those wooden barrels, the smaller ones, were put onto uh, the horse carriage again and then transported to the brewery pub again. You, you know that from oh. the Oktoberfest when they have these processions like the uh, at the beginning ah. of Oktoberfest, all these horse carriages coming on with dozens or hundreds of barrels on the back. Mm -hmm. So that was the actual uh, shipment of, of the beer to the uh, to the consumers. Ah, so that, wow. that wasn't just like a, a procession, like a show. That was literally how they got it there. Exactly. Wow. That's cool. My father told me, <laughs> that's also a nice anecdote of the brewery. Uh, so the brewery is up on the hill and the horse carriage starts there. And of course, it has to go down the hill. And hmm. the, the problem, of course, was that this heavy carriage would push on the horses. So what the carriage driver would do, he would have the one side of the carriage, the wheels, scruff against the sideboard in order to have a little break, break uh, event in there. <laughs> I love that. Break in the curve and, there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and my, my father told me that his father told him that when we got the first truck, the first truck driver was the last carriage driver. So he kept, <laughs> he kept his job, but he switched the technology. Technology. And yeah, of course, yeah. the truck had rubber tires. Now, at the beginning, my, my grandfather was wondering why the rubber tires broke so quickly. And they were always scrapped on one side. So you see where I'm getting at. Uh, the, the horse carriage driver in the truck didn't trust the brakes of this modern technology. Yeah. So he decided to continue his old tradition of scruffing alongside the sidewalk and he thereby destroyed the rubber tires. So, Man. yeah. I mean, that is something, yeah. even just that, even that anecdote of like being on the bleeding edge of technology where you're literally from horse carriage driver to truck driver like that. I think that level of of upgrade in technology doesn't happen like it did back then. You know what I mean? Even now it's like, oh, well, I had a flip phone. Now I have an iPhone. It's not the same. You know, it's not the same correlation. Right. But horse to truck just and there you go. That's it. I have to learn a whole new mechanism. That's I don't know why that amazes me so much, but 
I love well, that. Well, nowadays, probably you have to go to school for so and so long time because of all the labor security and everything. And back then, they just said, yeah, yeah, hop on there and there's a wheel and there's a gas and go. You'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, don't bug me, yeah. kid. Get out of yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, now you're certified. Um, let's chat about the Meriton real real fast. I mean, I know. I'd, okay. This is the thing. I could We could easily do eight shows on just what we've talked about right now. We haven't gotten to the beer yet. So uh, just to just to bring <laughs> up the you're, beer you're totally a little right. bit. I know. It's, uh, and, and this is what I, I knew. Like, even yeah. my notes are just scattered across timelines. You know what I mean? I have notes from 1400s, uh, you know, 30 years ago, somewhere in between. Just, you know, whatever. Uh, what I love about this Meriton is that it's not – so, okay, let me back up. And in the States here, we have a lot of breweries saying they make a Meriton and, and they there's some pretty good ones. There's a, recently a lot of German trained and I say recently, I don't know. It feels like in the last 10 years or so, maybe Cooper, yeah. you can help me out with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like sure. there's a lot of German trained American brewers going over there, learning actually how to make, you know, proper lagers and then coming back and opening up German traditional breweries, or at least they make the traditional styles. Right. So a lot of times we used to get Meritons that were heavy and sweet because that's sort of how I think how they tasted when they came over. And, you know, for the American palate, I think you sort of have to dial everything up a little bit or people don't think they're getting their money's worth. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that is. But this is not that. And it's very it's very light. You know, it'd be on the lighter side in, for me of like a Meriton, but it, it, it tastes so good. It's so easy to drink, even with that smoke, even if you don't like smoke. Uh, first of all, let me have your beer if you're not going to drink it. But it's <laughs> it's that that balance between the two is yes. is you know awesome. It's letting the smoke ride where usually you'd, I would think you'd be like, oh, maybe it's more malt focused or whatever. But it's that smoke that comes right through, sits all the way to the end, and that malt underneath just carries it through. So it's not even really heavy on your palate. You know, right. it's just a light, right. tiny smoke at the end, and you're like, that's it, and you want to come back for more. That's just a beautiful blend of beer. Do you work on, do you adjust the recipes at all? Or is it basically just the same, same recipe? Um, in principle, it's the same recipe ever since um, we, we have been doing it. Uh, there's even some, some old records from, from the 19th centuries, which show it goes into the same direction. Mm-hmm. Um, we do adjust a little bit. We have to adjust a little bit because obviously the raw materials are a little bit different every year. The yeah. hops is not exactly the same. The barley is not exactly the same. You probably know Garrett Oliver and yeah. the book at the Brewmaster's Table. He explains it very well in there that um, the beer makers or the brewers, uh, in in contrast to the winemakers, never had the uh, attitude of doing like a good vintage and a bad vintage. Uh, our uh, uh, aim, or our goal always was no matter what the raw material is, we have so many... Uh, knowledge about how to make beer and all the variables we have in the malting and the brewing and the fermentation process that even if we have a bad year of of barley or bad year of hops we still can make an excellent product in the end so we have to adapt to that a little bit Um, the other thing that has happened over the last 200 years or so is uh, that the raw materials changed in principle Hmm. that's what a lot of people keep forgetting these days Um, Hmm. for instance hops Um, today we have bitter hops and aroma hops Um, bitter hops which are for like the base bitterness which you use in in most beers Mm -hmm. and then the aroma hops which bring in the additional interesting uh, flavors you have in there Um, uh, bitter hops didn't exist till like 150 years ago like that you know when you talk today Halatau and all these big uh, uh, hop growing areas they just started 150 years ago the old hop uh, regions were Saats of um, Czech Republic mm. and uh, here it was south of Nuremberg the region of Spalt 
and uh, Heersbrook near Forchheim. And they were basically only working with aroma hops. I can see this in old recipe books from, from, from the family wow. um, that you can really see that aroma hops was the thing. And hops was the most expensive ingredient of the beer because uh, when you work with aroma hops and the hand picking and all that, it's just awesome, lots of work. And the modern uh, bitter hops totally changed that. Hops became much more affordable. It's mass produced. It's automated to some extent. Um, in more recent times, you can make it even better storable through pelleting, uh, like uh, pellet hops or uh, the hop extracts. In the old days, the flavor hops always needed to be stored cooled again in the rock cellars. Mm. Uh, that's what we still do today also uh, in order to keep the flavor and the quality over time. So that's the part of the hops. The, the other side is the barley. Um, the, uh, the barley has been bred over the last centuries into ever more yielding varieties. This is due to the demand of the farmers. They wanted to have a higher yield per, per acre. Um, at the same time, the brewers wanted to get a higher yield out of the barley, um, higher solving barleys, a higher degree of final uh, uh, fermentation. Uh, this was also driven from the industry breweries because it meant they could reduce the amount of malt they needed for the same rate of alcohol. And again, that is something I can actually see uh, in our old labeling. Like we, hmm. as I pointed out, the basic recipe is always the same. But when I look at the Schlenkeler bottles from the 1950s, and we still have uh, some of those, the alcohol level was 4.5 at the time. Later on in the 70s, you find 4.8. And starting in the 90s, it moved up to 5.1. Same original uh, uh, original gravity, same mm -hmm. same degrees Plato, same recipe, but different rate of alcohol because the, the rate of fermentation changed. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So these things did happen. They probably also have an impact on the flavor. That's though hard to say because even if you do taste that bottle from the 1950s and compare it to a modern one, you of course have that aging flavor in there. So um, there's slight changes in there, but the base recipe always stays the same. And yeah. uh, if someone follows my lead, it's going to stay the same. <laughs> it sounds like uh, this is. Yeah, of course. This is more of a natural process change than uh, an intentional market-driven right. beer, making the beer stronger because the consumer wants this. No, no, yes. no, no, no. It not happened at all. over time gradually, and exactly the same. Yeah, that's exactly. Cool. That's and I think you would see the same in other beers, but in the industry beers, they probably reduced the rate of malt they used in order to keep the alcohol the same level. Mm -hmm. uh, so, mm -hmm. so that's that's the other story. And then the other thing, of course, and uh, that's good for the beer development. We can work much more hygienically these days than we did in the old days. Um, the wooden barrels, when, when the lagering barrels were wooden barrels, obviously you could not sanitize them. Um, you were pointing that out early on yeah. in the commercial. Mm. So um, an old proverb in, in Franconia, when you got beer from a small brewery that was not sanitized as well as, as the more modern ones, an old proverb was when you can't empty a crate of beer in, in a week, then it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. so uh, shelf life was shorter in the old days, but yeah. now with the stainless steel and the better hygiene, we can go up to like 12 months easily. And uh, um, wow. uh, there's no problem with uh, um, sourness or, or any impact on the flavor. And as I said uh, at the beginning, the smoke really conserves the flavor. So um, actually it gets yeah. a little bit more smoky over time. Oh, interesting. Mm. I would have thought it dissipated a little bit, but I guess that's maybe the now, hops what, what, fade. It sort of shifts a little bit or interesting. Yeah, 
Usually, from a German point of view, uh, from a German brewer's point of view, what you always try to achieve is a balance of flavor components in the beer. So you have uh, the hoppiness, the maltiness, the uh, acidity, all that should be uh, on the same level and and, uh, uh, blend into each other and nothing should dominate the other. And for Schlenkel, of course, there's the uh, fourth additional component, the smoke flavor. But what happens over time in every beer is that the maltiness will decrease through oxidation. So when you start with malt and smoke at this level, and then the maltiness will decrease a little bit, your brain tricks you into, oh, the smokiness increase. Yeah. So ah, um, that's interesting. My, I, I my uncle, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brian, you were saying earlier on Switzerland and Austria and everything. My, my uncle emigrated to, to Switzerland. Uh, he died a couple of years ago, but he always came once a year to, to Bamberg and got a couple of crates in Schlenkeler memory back to his home. And he always said he always waits for at least seven, eight months before he drinks the first bottle because he wants to have it more intense and smokiness. So. <laughs> I, I feel like this sample that we're tasting right now, to me, tastes less smoky uh, than the last bottle I had, which was aged for a long time. And uh, yeah, I definitely, I, I'm noticing that. And it's like the maltiness is more prominent. It's it's richer, it's more upfront. And the smoke by comparison is is decreased. That's really uh, cool that you point that out. I, I get that from a judging perspective. Do you guys too, Jason, Brian? Yeah, a little bit. I think uh, for me, um, it's hard to remember. I don't... Usually I have a pretty good beer memory, yeah. but for some reason with smoke beers, I just... Smoke I dissipates guess, also <laughs> in the memory. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, because we, we just did a beer judging class and I used, you know, the Schlenkerle. Schlenkerle. There you go. <laughs> in, Come on, in our Brian. Class, and I had a bottle that I'd saved from, I think probably from an older, you know, Dr. Homebrew episode or something and it had yeah. been around for a while. And I remember it tasting quite smoky. So this was recent for me. And uh, we also, yeah. I guess you're right. I I think I'm so focused on on the balance of the smoke and the malt when I drink it. Like I'm so impressed by that. I, it's hard. I don't I don't know. It it is it is like ethereal and like smoke where it's just. I know I had it and I loved it and I I I. It's hard for me to compare the two. But I can see this I is pressure. Is. This is. This is more like tasting it at the actual brewery, which you've been to, uh, Jason. No, I was kidding. I was lying to you. Yeah. Yeah. Brian's like, I want to go there. I'm like, I've already been, dude. I'm just trying to one up him all the time. Like, I'm there right now. I was there two days ago. I'm there right now. Uh, (laughs) What what a lot of people actually say when they have the Schlenkela from the wooden barrel in the brewery pub, that it's a totally different experience. I bet. Of course, because of the wooden barrel and the atmosphere and everything, the carbonation is a little bit lower in the wooden barrel, Mm. just because of the way it's filled and, and poured. But also a lot of people say that the smokiness is not as intense when they have it here on site on tap. And that's hmm. the same effect because when you have it from the wooden barrel, it's at most a week old. Wow. God, I mean, whatever. We got. I've got to go to Bamberg. Yeah, I know. Man. I'll be right back. <laughs> um, actually, let's take a quick break. We're going to come right back and we're going to talk with, uh, with more with uh, Matthias from Schlinkerla. Hang on, everyone. It's Dr. Homebrew. We'll be right back. What's up, homebrewers? Hey, let me ask you a question. You spend a lot of time making your beer taste the way you want it to, right? Some of you even send beers into Dr. Homebrew for feedback. Well, the next logical step in your creativity is to craft some labels for those beers. And there's nobody better at creative labels than Grogtag. Their easy-to-use designs let you turn out some pretty amazing stuff like labels, bottle caps, coasters, even six-pack carriers with minimal effort on your part. They have a range of label sizes that fit any vessel you can think of. Bottles, cans, growlers, kegs. Grogtag has you covered. 
Head over to grogtag.com today and check out their line of amazing, fully customizable templates and get your beer looking its best. Grog Tags are water-resistant, reusable, and will have your naked bottles looking great in no time. That's grogtag.com, and be sure to use code BNARMY at checkout to save 10% on your order. Hello, fellow BNers. This is Sully from the 21st Amendment Brewery located in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park. Before Nico and I opened the 21A and before I was a professional brewer, I homebrewed on my small four-burner apartment stove in a back house in Santa Monica, California, making my extract brews before graduating to the daunting idea of all-grain brewing. Homebrew books and information was hard to come by back then. The internet hadn't been invented yet, along with other things we take for granted today, like electricity and potable water. One thing I wish I had back then when I was learning was a radio show that could teach me the ins and outs of brewing and answer questions that I had about homebrewing, a resource for making great craft beer. The 21st Amendment Brewery is excited to be a proud sponsor of Dr. Homebrew, a great show that teaches you what you need to know about making incredible beer. Good stuff. Listen up, you might learn something. I certainly did. And thanks for your support. Tasty Crack Games. I'm sorry to tell you this. But we're going to have to pour you out. Back to Dr. Homebrew. Thanks for hanging on, everybody. We are back here with Matthias, excuse me, uh, from Schlenkerla, and we're going to be cracking another beer. Matthias, what is the next beer we should be trying? We had the Meriton. What, okay, what else What else do you uh, have? You had the lager, I think. You had the Fasten beer. We have the, the we have the Fest beer, we have the Urbach, and we have the Doppelbach. Um, fest beer, Lent beer, not Lent beer. Sorry, yeah, 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 Lent, yeah, Lent. Lent beer, Ober, then go with the Lent beer. Got it. Oh, okay, in the can. That's the second strongest, so that makes sense to me. It's the only product that I could find out here in in a can. Is that uh, are you moving to cans at some point? No, um, that's actually a unique thing from our importer in the United States. They have a tank container project. It says that on the can on the back when you want to read up a bit. Um, basically what they do, they send around 10 containers to their brewery suppliers around the globe. And um, these are individually controllable tank container units. So um, you can adjust pressure, uh, temperature, everything inside as you as you need it. And uh, so basically they're movable lagering vessels. And the beer is transported in those tank containers over to Connecticut to their warehouse. And there they have a canning line. And they actually can it. And that's all pre-ordered, pre-sold. So it's maximum freshness. So the tank container gets in uh, one day or two days after it's filled into cans and goes out to the customers. So uh, as I was saying earlier, they have an awesome focus on on quality and on freshness. And also the the draft schlenker that they sell sell to supermarkets that also comes in with the tank containers and from there goes to uh, U.S. uh, kegs and keys and then uh, out to to pubs and stores. Wow. Wow, that's interesting. That's very cool. uh, Again, another thing I've never heard of, a distributor just buying. I mean, I guess it's a lot like... Like some of these whiskey, um, I don't know, distributors or, or or like liquor stores or whatever, you can buy a cask and then they or do a blend or whatever specifically for that store with their own private label. I guess it's something like that. But in the beer world, I've never really 
heard of that. Well, be, That's cool. Be, be United, uh, the, the, the founder is actually a German uh, who emigrated in the 1990s. And um, he wanted to start a company uh, to import the most renowned beers in the world. He got that little booklet from Michael Jackson, the beer hunter. <laughs> yeah, uh, nice, dude. That's and so cool. bas- basic, basically, he said, I want all the five-star beers in my portfolio. And he pretty much managed to do that. And he's an uh, extreme entrepreneur. Uh, he has a huge warehouse now. They also have their own small brewery, do experimental stuff with a cool ship. And they have their own bakery and they roast their own coffee and they have African style beers, which they ferment in some uh, uh, ground hole and stuff like that. So they, they, they do a lot of crazy things. They have their own honey. And they have this tank and, and, and this tank container project. When he approached me, what was that like 15 years ago that he had that idea? Mm-hmm. My initial thought was, oh, wow, uh, I'm not sure whether I want to do that because you give out a lot of quality control out of your hand. Yeah, um, You can have a lot of problems when you get infections in, in the canning line or yeah. in the bottling line. Yeah. Um, so uh, he sent his son over, uh, who's also in the business nowadays, um, and um, he was uh, doing an internship at our brewery, and we talked about everything, and uh, we showed him everything, and he was so eager and, and into the, all the, the, the topic, and um, knowing the way they are, they come from an area in Germany called Schwabia, and out of Schwabia is all the big car producers, or most of them, Mercedes, Porsche, mm. uh, Bosch, all that comes out of Schwabia. And the Schwabians are known to be uh, perfectionists in Germany. <laughs> so I said, well, they can do it, and I trust them, and they just do it perfectly. Uh, and that's why you said, yes, let's go with that. I love that. I don't think you can say that in the States. I don't think you can say, like, well, yeah, you know, uh, the people from Michigan are known for this, so I'm going to just do the thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I love, I love that... Um, that just sort of inherent trust of like, yeah, okay, you you talked me into it. I love that. You're Schwabi, so you're the, okay. Yeah. The, the fa- well, the you, you have here. to keep you have to keep in mind Germany wasn't a united nation until like 150 years ago. There was a ton of German states. Austria was a German state. Bavaria was a German state. Prussia, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And only when it got together against the outer enemy, they might have aligned themselves, but very often they didn't. <laughs> yeah. So, for instance, in the Napoleonic Wars, Bavaria was fighting on the side of Napoleon yeah, right. against the other German states. So this is this is just the way our history was. And only in like the 20th century, we found our way into being one nation, which wasn't the best ways of all, as we know, too. So, what do you mean? Uh, I don't understand. Re- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, we're still working on that ourselves, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's, it, so, I think but, it's going the other we, way over here. But but we still we still have that history, uh, and I think I don't know about America to be honest. Whether people consider themselves Americans or Californians or or, or uh, Massachusetts or whatever, it depends on your general, politics. It, uh, and your location, yeah. but yes, politics and yeah. location. Or, like people are really proud of being Californian, um, right? And I think they identify with that first, but I think that lacks a, a, a world view and like an experience okay. because it's just well, we're in California, and we live in California, and we go to Texas. We're from California, but it's also the other side where like Texas hates people from California because we have quote unquote progressive <laughs> politics. So okay. it's like it's that thing. It's yeah. So there's a lot of infighting and between where you are. The West Coast is so far away from the rest of the country. I mean, this is a you, you've been to North America. This is a gigantic country, and right. you can people can live in California, travel for hundreds of miles, spend their whole life, and never leave California. Right, <laughs> and and right. still see like thousands of things and have a great experience and whatever. Yeah. So this our our geography kind of <laughs> lends us 
to be maybe a little more isolated in some ways. Back to the beer. And here you travel like one or two hours and suddenly you speak another language because you're in a different country. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Which is so yeah. great. I love that. I love that. That's what's infinitely fascinating about Europe. And I think your your history in general, with the especially with the brewery, because so I was reading on your website and anybody who's who's remotely interested in just let's just say beer history in general. Maybe you're not a big smoke beer fan. I understand that. That's fine. Everybody has their thing. But go to the Schlenkerle website because there's such a history on beer culture and uh, brewing history. So you guys are on a location that was built originally in 1310. Um, That's correct? Well. Sort um, of. Okay. The well. Okay. Sort of. C- correct um, me, please. Uh the town of Bamberg has more than a thousand year history. So we started in 973, but that's a different story. Um, the Schlenkele Tavern um, has its first documentation in 1405, the building that is. Okay. It was at the time the house of the Blue Line, and later on it was the brewery of the Blue Line. That was 1405. The 1310 you're referring to, that exists also. That's one of the rooms of the tavern. The so-called Dominicana Clause, which looks like a chapel with, you know, Gothic ceiling. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. chapel is part of the former Dominican monastery of Bamberg. And that was founded in 1310. Okay. So, yes, there is a history starting 1310, but no, it was not the beer history. Right, um, right. We actually don't know when the first beer was brewed here. Um, there's a number of hints and clues, but there's no official first brewing record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you look at the uh, uh, the dates of German breweries, very often they say, you know, they're really old and, you know, founded this and that year. Uh, most renowned is Wein Stefan, which claims to be the oldest brewery in the world, starting at 1040. Um, you always have to be careful with those numbers and how to interpre- interpret them. For instance, the document that presumably proves that Wein Stefan started in 1040 making beer is a known forgery from the 16th century. So, <laughs> hmm. oh, I can't even imagine a known forgery from 500 years ago. That's hilarious. Yeah, I, I for, for us, I think it'll just be credence. Like, okay, yeah, it's it's that, that old. It has to the, be. That's actually the point. A friend of mine uh, works as a history professor here at the University of Bamberg, and he says the question, "What is a forgery and what is not?" is not black and white. It's really something a lot of shade of gray, because back then only few people knew to write anyhow. So it, you really have to look into the entire configuration because before you say, "Oh, this is false," or "This is true," so this makes things really complicated. And it's a uh, a debate you don't need to follow anyhow, because when you look at the old monasteries, they were all brewing beer. And whether it was mm. 1040 or 1004, it doesn't matter. Bamberg had a Benedictine monastery. They started in 1008, and of course they brewed beer. Yeah. yeah? And here the Dominican monastery next to our tavern, which started in 1310, yes, of course they brewed beer, because baking, uh, baking bread and brewing beer was the essential thing which everybody did at home the housewives did it and and then you had the commercial breweries you had the the um the monastery breweries that was the common thing it's like like we cook today they brewed their beer and they made their bread it was the normal thing um you know in the rumpelstiltskin uh, uh, uh fairy tale mm-hmm. um today i bake tomorrow i brew and the next <laughs> day i i'm going to che- uh, st- steal the child from the princess you know that's <laughs> But the first two phrases really uh, uh, convey how the time uh, back then was. Um, To make Uh, you totally confused, there's even another date. Uh, It's 1387. Uh, I mentioned that we have the beer lagerings up on on the hill. And um, 
they have the first documentation actually in 1387, at least a premise there. And it was owned by a brewer at the time. So very likely he was using it for lagering beer back then. The document doesn't say that. So this is an interpretation, but why would a brewer right. own a premise like that with a rock cellar, if not use it for making beer? So there's tons of numbers in there. And um, we know for sure that beer was brewed in our house starting 1538. So this is like the oldest we can prove to the extent that the owner at the time was a patron, um, a cooper, and also a brewer, because in Bamberg, the coopers and the brewers were associated in the same guild, um, okay. because making barrels and brewing beer was always interconnected, uh, because obviously the uh, brewers needed barrels, and also the, the, the buckets for the production process, they all did that themselves, and uh, in fact, when you were a cooper in Bamberg, you could do one additional test and then you, then you could call yourself brewer. So that was a very, <laughs> nice. very, very, very in, intertwined thing. So Brian, your family must have come from a lot yeah. of brewers, probably. They're the barrel makers. There yeah. you go. <clears throat> That's yeah. why. Yeah. Do you get yeah. caught so, up? Yeah, so, do you get caught up in that? Depends. Like a lot of the his, like the dates where it's like, okay, well, it has to be this. Or is it sort of just more like eh, it's 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 fun to think about, but it doesn't really matter like how, how long you've been um, brewing that like if it's 1500s or you know what i mean uh to me it matters yeah. because it, it shows the rich history behind and and it gives it shows you where you came from so what your chances what your obligations are uh but it also shows you a route into the future for instance in 2007 uh when the lehman brothers bank collapsed and everybody was like oh my god the world is going to go is going to end and what's going to happen yeah. um i said well i mean we lived through the 30-year war and, and the 100-year war and i don't know what the pestilence and all these horrible things in the past, uh, we managed yeah. the breakdown of a bank in the United States. And in a similar way now with Corona, Ukraine wars, all that, this is, of course, horrible and has huge impact on the business. Yeah. But there's there was no point whatsoever at any time where I was uh, concerned that we would not survive that because there were tougher times in the past. In the past. My Man. my grandfather, he was uh, in 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 the uh, in the Nazi army. Everybody had to go uh, mm -hmm. when he was uh, age, and he was stationed uh, in various parts uh, of Germany and in Europe for six years. And his wife was running the brewery. I mean, hmm. that worked, and the the company survived. So hey, if they could do hmm. that, we can manage with today's problems. Yeah, yeah. Ben wow. in the chat yeah. says, so they've only been brewing twice as long as America's been a country. <laughs> Jeez. Probably. More like probably about five times <laughs> yeah, as long. I yeah, know, but... but we can't prove it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so speaking on the on the website of the, I'm going to get it wrong, Dominicaner Klaus. Dominicana Dominicana Klaus. Okay. Um, you have the photos of the restoration. So you guys renovated it in 2011. And there's a picture on the website that is awesome. And it reminds me of going into the Horse Brass Pub in Portland. Mm -hmm. um, where just everyone used to smoke all the time and the walls are yellow, but you have this amazing artwork, these amazing paintings on the ceiling. And there's a picture that shows after cleaning and before cleaning. And it is night and day because of centuries or decades of cigarette smoke. Right. That was a very, me. that was very rewarding. So in 2008, um, the whole thing, uh, started with a smoking ban. So at first, mm. the Bavarian government made a smoking ban and so forth that you have to have one non-smoking room in your in your tavern. And it accelerated from there. And eventually, there was a public poll where the majority of the Bavarians said, no, we want general no smoking in all the taverns. Wow. That was a public vote, actually. The, uh, awesome. the politics wanted to do it uh, a lower level. 
And once that was out, I said, okay, this is not going to be turned back in any way. So we can be sure that there's no new smokers coming in there. And um, I knew some church restorers here. Uh, so we looked at the options and how we could do it. And we closed down uh, that one room for, I think it was two months or so. Hmm. And then we had the restorers in there with the little uh, uh, squishes. And then they took off all the old dirt and, and then the little pencils. And uh, <laughs> it was really amazing. A huge amount of money we put in there, but uh, it was so, so much worth it. And what they actually told me, like, I'm not a, not a, not, not an art historian. In fact, mm. art was one of the worst subjects in school for me. It's like <laughs> my, my daughter, age eight, she paints much better than I do. So. <laughs> Same. And my kid's five. So, yeah. Yeah. There, there we go. Yeah. I never got beyond that, uh, you know, Strichmännchen, they call it in Germany, where you just have a stick man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's just not my type of thing. Anyhow, um, I was. Uh, uh, told that um, the painting style of the Dominicana Klause is an iconic painting style. So what they did was they first covered the entire ceiling in gold with leafed gold. And then they painted on top of that uh, with a slightly see-through color. And because of this, when you look in, in the ceiling, it has a shiny effect like the heavens. And this apparently is a style being used in Orthodox churches. You know, Orthodox uh, churches are very opulent with a mm -hmm. lot of gold and very rich. And yeah. and that kind of style they, they, they used in there. And it was, uh, for the first time, it actually was restored by Michael Graser, my great-grandfather, mm -hmm. uh, when, when he rented that from the state of Bavaria after World War I. Uh, remember the guy uh, who was doing the lager? And... Um, <clears throat> He had the first restoration in there, and for that he actually got the uh, conserver of the National Germanic Museum in Nuremberg, which was a thing at the time, a real big thing. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. So, again, that runs in the family. If my great-grandfather wouldn't have done it, I wouldn't have had the idea or the option to do that. And, um, yeah. yeah, so for, for, for me... You were talking about money earlier on yeah. and, and what you do with a business like that. And a lot of businessmen, you know, they buy a big car or they have a big, big house and stuff like that, which they like and which is okay. Yeah. If you work for it, it's yours. You can, you can do that, of course. Sure. But, but for me, that never was, was a goal or some, something to do. So uh, profit margin, all that doesn't, doesn't matter that much for me. I'd rather put the money into things like that, which you're going to, and that's my intention, these things are going to stay longer than I will be around. And maybe one day when people look up there, they will remember, oh, there was this guy back then. He was talking so much all the time about history. But hey, here with the ceiling, he did, here with the ceiling, he did something nice. Or with that beer he introduced, he did something and nice. He, and so, he drove a crappy Peugeot or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, I think, exactly. I think hopefully your son and, and, your, and your, your grandchildren can do the same thing you just did in the beginning. Turn around. Look at the portraits, and you can know right. what these people did. No, I'm the, tearing the up again. The, the, the wall is a little bit full. I don't know where to put my picture. Maybe <laughs> out on the street or something. Yeah, there you go. Big statue. Um, real quick, yeah. I, I want to I want to comment on the the guild lamps in the um, in that room. Right. But I think they're hilarious. So apparently, there's four. Then they each have um, the, the the crest of the different guilds: the Baker's Guild, the Brewers Guild, uh, the Butcher's Guild, and the Fisher's Guild. And right. they even have sayings underneath, and these are translated on your website uh, into English, uh, thankfully. The Baker's Guild one made me laugh very hard. It was, large buns bring no profit. They should be smaller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just that, that, like, that, that, I don't know if it's irony, but that sense of humor in how to 
run a business because that's what it, I mean. You have to make you have to make money so you can buy product to sell it. I don't know. I think that was very funny. Um, I don't know. I like it, large it, buns, it, and I cannot lie. Yeah. It, <laughs> That that phrase actually sounds like the hundred fifties rules of acquisition from the Ferengi, doesn't it? <laughs> uh oh, Cooper, there it you go. Star does. Trek. Um in the Brewers Guild, one is water is the element which the brewer knows best. I mean, you know, that's that's a little on the nose. But uh the Butcher's Guild one is very funny too. The guild would be twice as big if bones could be sold as meat. <laughs> uh and then of course yeah, that, that that's rule forty seven, right? There, there you go. Um, the fishers, the, the fishers guild is if the fish does not enter your net, kill it with a stone. <laughs> I love. I don't know. Wow. That is very. That is very. That, that, that's something for the philo- philosophers. I don't know how to change <laughs> word that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll take their word cool, for it. Sounds, sounds fine to me. Um, um, we haven't. To the, yeah, back beer. to the lint beer. Yeah, Cooper. I said that thanks. a while ago. Well, you know what? And I appreciate because you you're going to keep me on track with the beer. I'm just talking about the history, and um, so I think in the middle we'll meet somewhere. No, I have a specific question about this beer because it tastes less smoky to me than the yeah. the Meritzen, and I'm not sure if it's just because I'm becoming acclimated to the smoke, or if it's the additional alcohol or something in the maltiness. Seems much richer in this beer. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's the 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 mouth feels bigger. The still sweeter, maybe too. Yeah, sweeter. Um, th- there's an interesting story to the fasten beer. So this was like the first new beer I introduced when it took over from from my father. I think it was 2005, and um, I wanted to do or my my general idea was to have a number of seasonal beers in order to give something for the regulars that come in every time, every day to to have something different for a change. Uh, it turned out they stick with the classic stuff, and uh, uh, the other people drink the new stuff. But okay, <laughs> like, it, it worked on an economic level. There you go. Um, so for the uh, for the land beer, what we did, the first idea was, or the, the first background was that in the monastery times, uh, in the time of Lent, um, monks were not allowed to eat during the day. Um, that was the, the Lent rule. So um, all, solid food was only allowed from sunset to sunrise. And uh, during the day, it was only liquid foods. Now, the problem was the monks, of course, um, they were craft people as well. Like the monasteries were self-sustained. They had their farms, they had their trees and, and all the labors they have to go about. And when you don't eat the entire day, that might be a problem. So you need a little bit more nourishing liquid. And the standard beer back then, that's something you have to keep in mind. The standard beers were lower in alcohol than what we know today. And in monasteries, they, during the day, they had something called kofent, which was something like 2.5% alcohol, so similar to light beers these days. So for the time of Lent, they would brew a stronger beer, uh, which was closer to regular beer we, we noticed today. And so I decided to do a blend of smoke malt and regular malt. Um, just to make it a little bit more interesting and to bring the smoky palate a little bit down in order to emphasize the maltiness and and the richness in the flavor, as you pointed out. And um, we actually started with 5.5% in the alcohol level, so relatively close to the Merzen, because historically this is what the style and the strength would have been at the time. Um, It turned out after a little while that I have a a legal problem with that because... (laughs) Uh, in German is something they call uh, they call it consumer expectation. So when a consumer ex- is uh, uh, by standard expecting something, you cannot make something else. Like when you give a person something called a car, it must have four wheels rather than two. <laughs> okay, we, like we, we have similar laws here. Yeah, in Germany it's not it's not a law. It's actually a thing of the courts. 
So if people oh. get some, if people get something which is named falsely, they can sue you and then get a refund and stuff like that. Yeah. And also in, in, in food, of course, that's a different level. In food, the yeah. uh, uh, local food authorities look into. Yeah. And what I wasn't aware of is that fasten beer nowadays needs to be a Bach beer, uh, which traditionally mm -hmm. oh. is wrong. Um, <laughs> You know, one beer historian against uh, against a hundred uh, bureaucrats. You know who's going to win that one. <laughs> right. So I, right. I, I didn't start that battle. So we 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 looked at what we can do. And technically, a Bach beer is a beer in Germany with uh, sixteen percent uh, degrees Plato, uh, original Plato. Minimum, you can go higher. Um, so what we actually did is, I wanted to stay below the six percent alcohol because I said it doesn't make sense to go above the six because then we're technically in a real Bach beer style, like from the alcohol perception of the consumer. But um, these beers were not like Bach beers; they were drank throughout the day, and people did still work. Yeah, it doesn't work with a Bach beer. Mm -hmm. So um, we looked into old mashing technologies and 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 laudering technologies because. Um, modern breweries try to get as much yield as possible, but of course you can do the opposite and get lower in the yield. So um, we, we tweaked it to that point where we are technically a Bach beer with 16% original gravity, mm -hmm. but we bring the degree of fermentation actually down so that we only have those 5.9% alcohol. And that will result in a much richer flavor because you have a lot of final extract in that one. Okay. All yeah, right. it is. It is definitely sweeter, yeah. and less smoky, and and very rich. I do like this beer quite a lot. Smart. And from it's a really nice. And, and and from a historic point of view, we were talking early on about the different uh, barley styles and how they were in the past and how the alcohol level changed. Historically, I think they would have worked with uh, sixteen or something percent uh, degrees Plato and ended up with five percent something alcohol because the degree of fentanyutation just was normal low at the time so i think with that whole configuration we are very close to what an actual lint beer in the historic times would have been hmm. happy accident yeah very cool <laughs> so I, I see on the can that this is a you know a blend of non-smoked pale malt and schlenker schlenker smoked malt do, right. do you do you malt your own pale malt or is that something you source from from elsewhere the pale malt we source source elsewhere right okay but that's like so all, all this but this the smoked malt is the thing that you do 100 percent yourselves exactly cool. i mean with, with our smoke kiln we cannot do regular malt anyhow yeah that's why i asked i wouldn't think it's you true. could do like a non-smoked malt yeah and it does it does thing. it doesn't make sense to make regular malt because our small no. kiln our kiln does four tons in one batch Mm -hmm. compared to you know commercial kilns what 100 200 even more tons hmm. yeah. yeah so um we're not uh cost efficient in that production yeah. so if you don't want to save that for like five years after you malt it yeah that would be that would be dumb <laughs> Four times that, that's sound. the other thing that's the other yeah. thing yeah, yeah. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't sound small to me that's a lot of malt <laughs> yeah absolutely uh matthias we, if, we are keeping if you, you if you go okay. if, if you go to modern malt operations they do like a hundred thousand tons per year oh, wow. and our annual production is something like 300 350 yeah. not more yeah, than that just for, so, just for you different yeah. sorry um uh, we are keeping you a long time do you have time i mean are you good are you you, you having good yeah, time I'm, all right i'm 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 fine. Okay. I bring my children to bed in like 45 minutes or so, so we're we're good. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, let's let's crack open this Urbach then. Yeah. We'll right. do that. Yep. We'll take a break. Yeah. We'll we'll do the Doppelbach and we'll try to wrap up. I I don't know if I can sleep 
after this um, because I have so many questions. Well, it's 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 11 o'clock in the morning, so you probably shouldn't go to sleep. (laughs) Well, maybe I should. I don't know. Uh, Um, All right, let's talk Urbach. What, What style is this? I mean, it's a Bach beer, I guess, right? That was a dumb question. Um, the the label looks looks a little bit different. Can I can I see? Is it the red? Yeah, exactly. It's the Urbach. Okay, yeah, just making sure. Yeah. Um, Urbach is a traditional uh, uh, Bach beer. So the history of of Bach beer goes back to the city of Einbeck in Germany. The story goes something like this: Einbeck, which was uh, is a town in the center of Germany, was part of the Hanse Trade Guild, and they sold a lot of beers. And since they did not have access to a port or did not have a port themselves, they need to transport the beer with horse carriages, which was slow. So they would brew brew the beer a little bit stronger in order to make it uh, shippable. And um, when later on that style of beer was copied elsewhere, they called it beer Einbeck style, uh, meaning strong beer. And over time that got synonymized with uh, Bock beer style. Uh, interestingly, um, the Bach is in, uh, in German language, the name of the term Bach refers to a male goat. Mm-hmm. So very often in modern Bach beers, you will find the depiction of a goat in there, which doesn't make sense at all because it has nothing to do with goats, like goat, goat, I don't know, milk in the beer or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's just that etymology change of Einbeck to, to, to Bach beer. Einbeck to Bach. And, okay. yeah. Like and the celebrator. Urbach Ur yeah. means original Bach beer because, hmm. um, and th- I think that's something you want to talk about later on as well, um, the killing of malt over open fire yes. is the original way of making malt, at least here in, in, in Europe. Yeah. Uh, so the original Bach beers, even those of Einbeck, must have been smoky to some extent. So the Schlenkeler Bach beer is the will form the original form of Bach beer. That's why we call it that. Or it's been always called that. Yeah, we have it for, I don't know, real long time. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it the uh, the Bavarian dialect, though, like saying Ein, Ein Bach beer? It's like it, they, they kind of changed the, the tonality. As you would say it more in northern Germany, it'd be Einbeck, and then it's in southern Germany, they say it with a richer sound. It's like where the hmm. Bach... They got it confused. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I think it's something that happened in Munich. So, so the story. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. As usually, as usually with those legends, you have to be a little bit careful because you never know how much modern marketing flows into there or uh, mouth to mm-hmm. ear to uh, mouth to ear propaganda over time changed the story. Sure. Um, yeah. I so mean, my, is this uh, is this one just kind of an amped up version of the the Meritzen, or uh, is the recipe varying in a very significant? way what um, what's um the, yeah, the... if 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 by amped up you mean it's similar to the meritson but stronger yes you're right um it's it's pretty much the meritson recipe but with a higher uh, water uh, malt to water ratio basically okay. and the hops is a little bit different um the, the most important thing is actually it has a much longer maturation time than the meritson so for for the classic meritson we do about two months of maturation and for the urbok up, up to half a year Wow. Which really, really? Uh, does mm-hmm. something to the flavor. This yeah. is amazingly smooth. It really is. Oh my rich god! And it just... It's, it's a, such a smooth, amazing beer. Yeah. Uh, Cooper said amazingly smooth, and Char said smooth, amazing, and these two are grandmaster BJCP judges who <laughs> describe beers the, for a living. I don't know. The best uh, well, we're just fanboying fan here for Matthias and it's for really hard, like man. Uh, ben in the chat, uh, Matthias says, are the Mertzen, Urbach, and Doppelbach single malt beers, or are they blends? Um, they are in principle single malt beers, so mm-hmm. um, it's it's uh, for the Eiche, it's the oak smoke, and for the Märzen and the Urbach, it's um, the classic beechwood smoke malt. Mm-hmm. What we do, however, um, 
since our malting operation is manually driven, like the, the beech wood logs and, or the oak, uh, oak wood logs are put in there by hand. And with that, you cannot adjust temperature and, and, and production of, of the malt as you can do with a modern kiln. Oh. So we actually have slight variances in the color between the batches. Okay. And in order to level that out, we use a little bit of roast malt in order to have the same color, because otherwise consumers would be confused if the Mertzen would change in color from, from okay. batch to batch and from baller to baller. So, okay. but that's that's less than 1%. So, uh, yes, I would still say it's a single uh, single batch malt. I would say that too. I, I think you're all right. The color of this is so rich. Just It's like this ruby brown, you know, you know like uh, just a coppery color with... It looks like a uh, looking into a, a glass ball. It's so just perfectly clear, and you're looking through it at the screen here, and it's like yeah. just reflecting everything behind it. It's beautiful. No, it's a fantastic beer. It's very, it's like these guys have said. It's smooth and awesome. It's awesomely smooth. That beer but, is yeah. smooth and awesome. But, you yeah. know, it's, it's it's well attenuated. It's rich. Yeah. It but is it's not cloying. Right. It's, it's not. It's not super dry like a Pilsner, but it's still very well attenuated, and it has just a wonderful mouthfeel and wonderful flavors. Very, it's uh, and it is just crisp, absolutely crystal clear. You can't tell because mm-hmm. of the reflections here. It's you know not all that. I, I get a little bit like a tiny little prickliness, and I'm attributing it to the smoke. You know, just like a little bit on the tongue, more than I have with the other beers, which I, I imagine makes a little more sense because there's probably more smoke malt in here. I mean, obviously, right, but. It doesn't taste smokier, and I, I, you think that's probably because of the the, uh, the higher gravity. So there's more malt, there's more sweetness. It sort of balances out a little bit. You also have a, a higher rate of final extract because of a degree of fermentation in such a high malted beer will not be as big as in a, a beer with less malt. So. Um, right. As I was saying earlier on, the balance, which is the thing uh, German brewers always aim for. So mm-hmm. uh, with the Urbach, you're on a higher level than on the Merzen, but you're still in the balance. So you have more hoppiness in there, more maltiness, more smokiness. Right. So yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be, it could be well attenuated, but the like you're saying, the final gravity is going to be higher than in the Merzen, uh, right. just because right. of the nature of the yeast and the process. Even, uh, look, exactly. Let me tell you, even... Let's say you take the smoke out of this and you just have, you know, a Bach beer. The the cleanliness and the uh what am I what am I what are the words I'm trying to say? The the balance and the fermentation of this beer is you you can't you can't find this in the States, probably anywhere. I mean, maybe you can get I, I haven't been to all like like I said, like the German, you know, themed or German trained uh, you know, breweries like Zeugel House in Portland, for example, or whatever. Um we can't I, I I haven't been all there, but but the ones that I've had, you can't find it. It's such a, and I, it comes down to the lagering time, I would imagine, because we can't we you know we people here. It's a constant battle to find a lager, even a pilsner that's been that's been lagered. People go, oh, it's two weeks. Let's go. Let's crank it out. We got to turn this over because we have to make more hazy IPA and piss Jason off. And it's like it, it doesn't. It you know two months, three months. Give me something because it it does matter. It does make a difference, and we just can't. I don't know if it's our, I think it's the consumer's fault more than the brewer's fault out here. I, anyway. I don't know. I mean, lagering costs a lot of money and um, all the big breweries try to cut down on that. Uh, also the uh, one container uh, of fermentation and, and, and lagering that mm-hmm. you all do in, 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 in one container and then you just draw the yeast in between. Yeah. Um, it's 
it's been just the traditional way how we we've we've been doing it. Like we have a separate uh, fermentation uh, cellar and and then a lagering cellar. And since we use these old lagerings, we have a lots lots of space up there. In fact, we only use about half of the caves we have underneath the brewery. Hmm. Uh, uh, so uh, the cost part, of course, is is intense. Um, yeah, these lagering vessels. Um, we used to have aluminum lagering vessels, and I exchanged them all into stainless steel because the hygiene and the quality is much better than those. And these are generation investments. Like uh, mm. you cannot calculate an ROI of like I don't know three four months or something, <laughs> so, or three or four years. Right. You, you, we're we're talking we're we're talking decades here. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's a great point because you know most like American craft breweries and American small breweries, most of them are brand new. Yeah. You know the uh, uh, they, they cannot be, do that. They might be thirty years old. Yeah. And and if they they have investors, they have their own money into it. They they're doing right. whatever. And they, there's just not as much as they might want to. Economically, there's just not a way they can do it that will please everyone. Have them make money. Have them be able to eat. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, but yeah, that's when you have a thousand year old brewery. That's one of the great advantages well, <laughs> is you have generational yeah. investments that are still paying off today. Well, I think that's that's exactly. one of the reasons that makes Sierra Nevada so good is because Ken has put I, I those agree. those investments and those resources in, and it's a family run business. There's, uh, yep. as far as I know, there's not investors to speak of to necessarily no. a- appease, and so you know they're doing things like sustainability. They're focusing on solar. They're focusing on recycling. They're focusing on wastewater, and also improving their products and and pushing it out. And and it's that you know hopefully that continues for for generations. It's a great yeah. Yeah, Kent, Kent doesn't have a board and shareholders and investors telling yeah. him he could do what he wants. Yeah, and same that's thing with Matthias. You kind of have that. You kind of have that luxury to some extent, which is which is great. Yeah, it, exactly. Interesting. It's it's, it's, it's circumstantial, uh, circumstantial, and um, I mean, my board of directors is back there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So oh, so I, I I I always kind of think, what would they have thought, and what would yeah. they uh, approved and not approved? So that that's an yeah. issue. And of course, my father's still around, and he's a very strong board of directors. I, I can bet. assure you. <laughs> I could imagine. Yeah. So, so you don't uh, want to have him disapproving of what you're doing, and he's right there next door. Exactly. So we we continuously talk about everything. We of course we don't agree on everything. That that's just normal. And in the yeah. end, he says, you know, you do it as you want, and that's fine. But he always uh, says, you know, listen to me first before you do something, and then make your decision. So Smart. it's like the the elder advisor, and that's yeah. I mean, he's eighty two now, and but he's still totally good in in, in every condition. So I, I think that that you you pointed it really out coming from that long history you really have more options in that uh, relation and uh, not having to talk to investors and get getting them shareholder value or something um quarterly reports i don't care about quarterly reports i i have my statistics i have my figures i know where i have to look into and obviously we need to make money at the end of the day as well and you know have to look at our costs and all that but um investments are really a strategic thing in ours and and, and in our company and uh we really think in the long run and uh yeah looking at decades more than just quarter to quarter what's going to make the best profit well and and like char said you have that you have that luxury because you've been around for centuries so you know and and you're you're confident that you're going to be like you were saying about the bank failure like we're we've we've lasted through longer we're going to be okay, so we can justify doing this. 
because I know 30 years from now we're still going to be around yeah. producing great beer and it's going to be fine. Everything will be okay. Exactly. I mean, we can do this because we have been doing it like that and we will be doing able to do it because we do it that way. So it's, you know, <laughs> okay. all sense of the same story. Yeah, I got you. Uh, yeah. The only thing you have to make sure is that, that there's no generation in between that does it differently and wants to turn it into a pizza parlor and so yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. IPAs and pizza. Yeah. Should, should we I move on both. to the Doppelbox so that Matthias can put his kids to bed well, in a little while? What we're going to do is take a break because yeah. I need to release some of this beverage. Um, and then we're going to come back. We're going to crack the last beer. Uh, and then I want to talk about uh, Smoke Beer Preservation Day, which is, of course is on July 23rd. Maybe a little bit of the history of smoke beer and then and then we'll split. Sound good? Oh, sounds good. All right. Hang on, everyone. It's Dr. Homebrew. We'll be right back. Back to the examination. All right, thanks for hanging on, everybody. Uh, during the break, Matthias was uh, schooling us on not only beer history but uh, banana alcohol. What, bananas, <laughs> bananas, and alcohol. What? What's well, up? We started by talking about their low alcohol beer, the the zero point nine that they make on site. Oh and uh, what was that one called again, Matthias? Heinzlein. Heinzlein. It's Heinzlein. Heinzlein. Uh, it's it's an, an old name from also from the family. And back in the 1900s, one third of the beer production of Bamberg breweries was Heinzlein. Das ist ein Kinderbier, oder? Ja, ein Kinderbier for the little Heinz. Yeah. Yeah. So it had had nothing to do with Heinz ketchup or, or that. <laughs> no ketchup beer. No, no. Uh, no, the, the, there's actually a story to that. Of course, as well. I mean, beer history is, is my my uh, my favorite topic, and uh, that's what I did in Wine Stefan also for my final thesis. And um, in the old days, people would not drink water because water was potentially polluted when you took it from rivers or from from wells. So uh, uh, beer, however, was boiled, and in the boiling process, obviously, bacteria and germs are killed off, pathogenic germs, and the hops further stabilizes the beer. So beer was the drink of choice if people could afford it. And the problem now was when you drank regular beer throughout the day, uh, you would be drunk at one point and couldn't follow your, your your chores. So in Bamberg, they had something called, I was early on talking about the coffin from the monasteries was two and a half percent. And the Bamberg brewers took it one step further. Um, they did a low alcohol beer called Heinzlein with 0.9%. And basically it was second runnings from, from the malt. And they did another... Oh, okay a couple of other tweaks with the mashing and with the boiling process in, in the final beer then and the hoppiness, but it has a relatively rich beer flavor. It's very close to regular beer and uh, you still got a clear head. You don't feel the alcohol and um, it's, it's the perfect day beer. That. So I always call it my yeah. office beer. <laughs> when you have to write 20 emails, uh, it's really good to <laughs> not get your fingers <laughs> intermixed. So, yeah. I love that. Do you think you might ever release one that's uh, below 0.5, so by law considered alcohol-free? For that, you need technical equipment, which we don't have. Um, Mm. You need Mm. to pasteurize, which out of principle, I actually don't want to do with beer because Ah. it changes the flavor. Or you need to uh, extract alcohol, for which you need huge material, uh, huge equipment, which we don't have. So the Um, Heinz line is good enough. That's all you need. (laughs) Yeah. it's not historic because pasteurization only came with Louis Pasteur, as the name says, uh, which was 19th century. And also the modern treatment of alcohol extraction, whether it's distilling or whether it's filtering, that's been around for like, what, 30, 40, 50 years, something like that. Yeah. 
Um, so it wouldn't be historic. Yeah. So I don't really see us doing it, uh, not only because we don't have the equipment, but we, with a space and with the historic yeah. background. So, hmm. um, well, one day before the company would go bankrupt because nobody drinks smoke beer uh, anymore, I might reconsider. But at the moment, <laughs> I don't really see why. why yeah. Yeah, the NA beer has gotten a lot better over the years, but you know why? Why do you need to make that? It's there's plenty of other people doing that, yeah. and uh, yeah. it's not it's not taking Maybe. over the market. It's still a very small share of, of beer production, but uh, uh, you know, I, I I drink a fair amount of NA just to you know, like like you said, keep a clear head so you can do things and you know, right, uh, right. for health reasons and all that too. It's 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 something that's more popular now but you're not driven by trends over 10 20 30 no. years you're driven by this <laughs> no, history no, no. so yeah i get it i, get I it. mean the the reason why i brought back the heinz line was because i rediscovered it in the old archives and i thought it's an interesting thing and for me personally whenever i have visitors over customers and so forth which is often obviously and every time when you have lunch with them and then you drink a beer and then you have to go back to the office it's like uh, it, it's tough at times. So yeah. I had a personal idea in that one. And also a lot of people in the, in, in the tavern, uh, the guests ask for a non-alcohol beer or low alcohol beer, um, you know, when they have the city tour afterwards. So mm. it made sense to amend the assortment. Uh, and we started with a smoky version of the Heinz line and that was received very well. And so we expanded it in Corona times because we had the, the time to do something like that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and um, so there's a pale Heinz line and a, a dark Heinz line, oh. uh, but that's just a thing for the local market for the moment. We plan to start oh. exporting, but I'm not sure whether that's going to end up in the United States because I think with all the import hassle, transportation costs, et cetera, uh, et cetera. Has um, to be. It has to come here. I love a low alcohol yes. beer. It's funny that you mentioned we, like- uh, Have we like, started the actual show yet? Yeah. Have no. we? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. We? <laughs> yes, yeah, I we have. So. It's being recorded. Um, <clears throat> um, uh, it's funny you mentioned you know ha- having lunch and then going back to work and having a beer. Like, oh my gosh, um, it's funny you you watch like Mad Men or you think about the fifties where everyone had a, a two martini lunch and then they right. go back and then they go back and they have a scotch and they just. That, I think that's why I had some weird ads in the fifties because everyone was just drunk, <laughs> just well, absolutely think about the fact That that was twenty years after prohibition, maybe. And after, oh, and yeah. it was maybe 10 years after the war. So everybody was all like, and, you know, America was sitting real high on the hog at the time. It was like <laughs> yeah, the, well, the biggest, we were like the, the biggest, the biggest industrial country that hadn't been totally, totally wiped out. So yeah. people could do things like have three martinis at lunch and still function because, you know, what's the competition? Yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's probably true. Um, speaking of emails, uh, Matthias, I, <laughs> I emailed you for a for research for a smoke beer on a show I did back in 2014 and you responded to me and it's funny because I just sent it to like the general the general inbox off the website thinking I'm never going to hear back because number 1 what do they care about some schlub in the US going hey I love your beer what's you know how do I do it but Matias took the time and we actually had an email exchange and then you know trying to book anybody for this show, I was like, well, I, I'm not going to reply to the same email. So I'll just do the same thing I did and go to the website in the general contact information and send an email. Lo and behold, it's Matthias again. And I'm like, I'm and the that, only one working here. <laughs> yeah. well, that's when it really hit me where, you know, you, you read on labels, family run, family owned, but you have no real idea what's going on behind the scenes or like, like, what does that mean? You know? Um, but to have the same man nine years later respond to an email 
I, I don't know. It was very, uh, it was very cool and endearing and very, um, I don't know. It sort of solidified the brand story, I guess, a little bit. Where you know, not that I doubted it, but now I know you're just you're the guy running the thing, and it's it's a family it's a family affair. And I I, I don't know. It's very. Um, it's nice when I don't want to call it marketing, but it's nice when marketing is is reality. It's not just made up for a story. You know, you guys are living the living the dream, and I. Yeah, I don't know. The the, the eleven year old doesn't you. write very good emails yet. Maybe so, <laughs> yeah, well, or maybe they do. I don't know. They'll yeah. be the, we, 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 we see how that uh, works out eventually. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's not too happy about typing at the moment, but we see how, where that will go. Dear Mr. And, Petros, pee-pee, poo-poo. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not like that. Not like that. We're probably all going to dictate it eventually. We don't oh, type yeah. anymore or something like that. That's all I do no, is text I mean, on the phone. I, I mean, there, there's there's obviously a lot of people working at Flank and I. Uh, yeah. I was joking early on. I don't do everything myself. Of In course. fact, we almost have 100 staff. Um, uh, the biggest is in our brewery pub. There's like more than 70 people in our brewery pub with kitchen service, beer tappers. That even, uh, that even seems low to me. Well, we're we lucky and we're happy that we have that many because it's really hard to get people to work in gastronomy these days. I yeah. hear it's the same in the States. Yeah, yeah getting yeah. good servers, and, it's really hard on those merchants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, we could hire some more, but... Well, there aren't any more out there. And uh, I was talking early on about Bamberg being popular with, with tourism. So there's a lot of gastronomy here. So there's a lot of competition and uh, um, not competition for customers, but competition for workers. Uh, so uh, ah, it's, okay. I see what you're it's, saying. Been, it's been a, a challenging time. And I guess it's going to stay like that because the demography in Germany is the same as in most Western mm. countries, like declining population mm. and people aiming for uh, the easy office job where they can work, you know, nine to five, five, five days a week and uh, not in gastronomy where you work on the weekends or on the evenings and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, gastronomy has a tough time in that one. The brewing on the other hand works quite well because beer is still very popular in Germany and it's especially popular with the young people. Uh, I think craft beer did a lot for that as well. Cool. Um, You're welcome. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm totally Thank kidding. You. I'm 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 mostly no, kidding. No, no, you shouldn't be. It's yeah. it's absolutely true. There was a time when beer was something for old people, hmm. and even here in Germany. Yeah, I mean, yes, you would drink it for for dinner with your family and everything. Yes, but uh, if you talk to p- pupils in school, what you want to do, brewers was not at number one. Definitely, there <laughs> right. were other jobs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. grandpa drinks his um, vice beer. I'll just uh, yeah, yeah have a cocktail. Yeah. or something. I'm be a football but player. But I think I th- I think uh, well, football player is still number one. <laughs> well, yeah, course. I mean that they make the yeah. most money. They make yeah. well, yeah, and and they're uh, and they're uh, uh, glorious, and everybody knows them, etc. Sure. And, uh, sure. And uh, obviously, you don't need a university degree to play it. So, certain things that certain things that help in there. You just yeah. need like um, massive, massive one in a billion talent. That's all. You're right. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Jason opened the Eiche. I see. Oda opened it. There's Cooper, it's, it's, our rudder. <laughs> Cooper is our rudder for this show, and I appreciate it. Uh, okay. Yes, let's do let's do the uh, let's do the uh, the Doppelbach, um, and then let Matthias go be a, a, a dad put his kitties to bed can we talk about the um what makes beechwood so special that uh, you know this is the so the Aisha is smoked with oak but uh the beechwood is is your primary malt and you use for everything what makes beechwood in particular so special that it, it makes a great smoked malt um <clears throat> the beech smoke has a very uh, nice aroma and flavor it's a relatively intense smoky aroma and flavor 
Um, but more importantly, and this goes into the history, historically, uh, maltsters or brewers, I mean, there was no maltster as such, malt making was part of beer making. Um, brewers didn't at first look at getting certain flavors. The first intention was to get the malt dry. And so they needed a wood with a high burning value. And uh, beech has next to oak the highest burning value. There's some other trees you can use as well. And um, we're actually going to bring two more Schlenkeler beers to the Schlenkeler family this year with uh, two uh, other types of, of uh, wood. Ooh. So that's something we can cool. uh, make a little hint later on. Okay. Um, right. But beech wood was the common tree because it has a very high burning value. And that's also part of the story why smoked beer survived in, 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 in Bamberg. Um, uh, historically, all the beers had a more smoky aroma and flavor. Um, but starting the 17th century, they became more or less extinct because the modern type of beer making, the modern time of malt making was uh, invented. Uh, you mentioned early on that 23rd of July is Smoked Beer Preservation Day. Yeah. Um, we were so, well, crazy to call it that because on 23rd of July, 1635, uh, Sir Nicholas Halls of Cornwall in the United Kingdom, England, received a patent from King Charles I, not the third, the current one, the first, King Charles I, um, for his invention of a non-smoke kiln. Um, the background story is the following. Um, England had run out of wood or wood had become very expensive and scarce hmm. because they needed it for shipbuilding, for house building. And so brewers wanted to switch to coal. Wood needed to be imported. So they bought a lot of wood from the Dutch and the Dutch, which were the biggest trading nation at the time, in turn got the wood from the Baltics, from Estonia, Lithuania, Russia. So history reads itself. Yeah, England was dependent <laughs> yeah. on energy imports from the east, and they didn't like that, right? So, so they wanted. That's I never thought about it that way, but you're exactly right. Because Russia has exactly... infinite wood, infinite oil, infinite natural gas, all that, because they're so yeah. gigantic. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. You have Canada. You can get it from yeah. there. <laughs> sure. We certainly do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so they wanted to become independent of that and they wanted to switch to coal. Now, the problem is when you kill a malt with coal, this coal smoke is very unaromatic. So the flavor was not very pleasant. Mm -hmm. So uh, technology needed to be invented uh, to filter out the smoke. And Sir Nicholas Holtz was the one. Uh, and so the 23rd of July, 1635, so more than 300 years ago, marks the day of the invention of modern style beer. And mm. it went downhill from there for the smoke beer because <laughs> the newly non-smoke kilns, they were more efficient. You could build them on larger scale. You could use any type of fuel, which make the production even further cheaper. Um, at first it was coal, later was oil, gas. So all the modern kilns still work on that uh, principle of filtering out the smoke first. Of course, the patent was uh, further on developed and continuous patents came. And the technology today is relatively far away from what Sir Nicholas Hall's invented, but the principle still is the same. The aroma or the flavor from the heat source does not go into the malt. And that's the principle Sir Nicholas Hall's invented. And his kiln in his original patent writing, there's a copy from the 18th century in which the original uh, wording of Sir Nicholas Hall's is in. He actually writes that his uh, invention makes it possible 
to kiln, malt, and hops without the bad influence of smoke. But you can also use that technology to dry linen or anything else. So he was an entrepreneur. He really understood what you can do with his technology, and he was endorsing it as such. And so the smoke kilns got extinct in England within like 100 years or so. And around 1800, that invention came over to, to Central Europe, together with the rest of the industrialization, the steam engine, the weaving stool, all these sure. mass production technologies, which make our modern life uh, possible, um, were invented in England and then made it to other countries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in, in Germany in 1800, the Spaten Brewery of Munich, the known Spaten Brewery, was one of the first ones to close down their Bavarian kiln, meaning smoke kiln, and replace mm. it by an English kiln. So even in German, they called it the Englische Dare, the English <laughs> kiln, That's because that technology was synonymous with England. Wow. Yeah? And, okay. And, and, and the same happened here in Germany. It took only 100 years until all the smoke kilns were closed down. All? No, except um, <laughs> here in Bamberg, mm -hmm. um, around 1900, uh, there were out of the 70 breweries at the time in Bamberg, four of them still make smoked beer. Uh, Schlenkerla was the one. The other one was Spezial. Um, those two still do it today in the old way. The third one was the brewery Greifenklau. Uh, that brewery also still exists, but they discontinued their malting operation after World War II. So you only get normal beer there. And um, the fourth one was the brewery Polar Bear, and that one closed altogether in World War II. So yeah. Schlenkerle and Spezial are the only ones to continue the smoke beer production all throughout the centuries until modern times. Wow. And so, so in a way, we laid the basis to now the craft beer revolution, which bring, yeah. brought a lot of new smoke beers starting yeah. in the 1980s. <clears throat> Because nowadays, obviously, you can get smoke malt from from the the big malt producers, smoke flavored, or you smoke it at home on your bar uh, on your uh, smoker on your barbecue. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of options there, um, but Schlenkerle and Spezial were the two who preserved preserved the style deliberately. And to make a long story, or to return to where we started, <laughs> Beechwood played a role in so far in so far as to the west of Bamberg is the largest beechwood forest of Germany in the Steigerwald. So obtaining beechwood was always relatively easy here, whereas getting coal for the modern type kilns where you had to transport it over long distance with train was a more difficult issue. And especially smaller breweries are of course slower to invest into new technologies than older are. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, these circumstances made it uh, possible at all to 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 keep right. the smoke beer. Right, because England then, had like right. massive coal deposits, right? And that was why England right. wanted to go to coal because oh. they were out of wood and they had around Newcastle, like all this coal they could dig out. But Germany had a lot of wood and not as much coal, right? This is a good, it's a good hard um, wood. Yeah. Well, Germany cut down its forests in the 1900s as well. So the, uh -huh. the, the same explosion of, of population that England had happened here in Germany as well. Okay. And we, we have our coal reserves. There is uh, Schlesien, okay. which nowadays is uh, Poland and Czech Republic, but it yeah. used to be Germany at the time. Right. And there's the Ruhrgebiet, uh, Rhein-Ruhr, uh, Düsseldorf, Dortmund. So it's uh, it's like the okay. largest populated area in all of Germany, in all of Europe. It's like 15 million people living in an area, but it's comprised. It's not one big city. It's like 20 or so smaller cities right. that go together the Rhine-Ruhr area. So there's a lot of coal there. 
Um, so that was not the problem, but Bavaria didn't have it. And Bavaria is a very rural country. Gotcha. Uh, there we come with the mountains again, where we talked earlier on. Yeah, you know, a little bit more keen on traditions, not right. so easy with going with new technology. Yeah. And so the old uh, tradition uh, stayed alive here. But I think there's another story to that as well, or another addition. We were talking about Michael Grasse early on, the guy who renovated the, the Gothic ceiling with, mm -hmm. with the gold paintings. Yeah. I think he made a very deliberate decision of continuing the smoke beer rather than changing to other beers. Hmm. Um, already in the 1920s, there's newspaper ads from him where he points out that smoke beer is something unique of Bamberg and something needs uh, worth preserving. Okay. Um, there's also newspaper articles on smoke beer and on Bamberg already in the 1920s, so 100 years ago. And the craziest thing I've seen so far, a uh, local historian found that, um, the term smoke beer is relatively new. In the old days, nobody would call a beer smoke beer because all the beers were smoky. It was just like, beer, yeah. Because that's, beer. that's like, the only way you could dry the malt, kill the malt. Exactly. No, it, it was fire, right. Uh, that was the only way, right? Okay. And it was uh, it was a standard trade. Like there was no beer without it. So right. Um, to make a modern comparison, you wouldn't call a car a four-wheel car because it always has four wheels. Yeah? Right. It's, okay. it's always the same, so you, you'll admit that. And, and the horseless so carriage. Great, right? yeah. yeah, the horseless carriage, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So um, the term smoke beer started to exist very late, and, and the first uh, source we found, or that historian found, is actually a newspaper article from 1898, so 130-something years ago, and it's a fictional uh, uh, travel report on Bamberg in the year 2000. Oh, so God. 100 years after the publication. Yes. And that and that traveler uh, writes about Bamberg and how beautiful the town is and the unique smoke beer in that town. Uh, wow. And that's an article uh, from 1898. So that early, early science fiction. <laughs> that, exactly. Like the Jules Verne of beer, if you want. <laughs> So it really started that early to be something uh, uh, something uh, special and something unique. And um, I think Michael Graza made the very deliberate decision and said, hey, this is something we need to preserve. This is something we have to keep for the future. And there goes the family story again. You yeah. know, when, when my ancestor makes such a decision, I cannot just stop that and, you know, do something else and make a pizza beer or something. That doesn't, doesn't work. <laughs> You're not going to do a pastry stouts. No, no, no. Okay. no. <laughs> smoke, smoke IPA or something. I don't know. <laughs> Other people can do that, but what is your? I, I think you hit on something really big right there. That's smoke IPA. That's. <laughs> oh, there you go. What smoke sour? <laughs> the hops, the hops One hundred percent. There's a brewery yeah. somewhere that's done both of those things. IPA is in not America. a balance. Of, of course, yeah. yeah. Smoked lambic. I mean, oh yeah. In the old days, where hygiene wasn't good, there was uh, occasional uh, sour smoke beer. Sure. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Even in you know some homebrew uh setups uh but aside from smoke beer of course what is your favorite beer style to drink when you're when you're out in a beer? um i i like very much the bavarian uh dark beers bock beers they're mm -hmm. rich in flavor and i also like very much trappist beers because they're uh also extremely rich because of the uh, intense mashing te technique they're using and um yeah so uh rich flavors I'm not so much the sleek drinker, so IPAs, okay. yeah, well, okay. Every yeah, once Pilsner, in a while. Yeah. Not yeah, a Pilsner I mean, guy, okay. All right. No, Pilsner, not at all. It's it's no. too sleek for me. Lager beers. Too uh, sleek. Man, check. what a good description. That's, that's a good name for it. 
because you're right it is it's very polished and yeah you know, exactly yeah. yeah it's it's at least in germany mass produced um i like the bohemian lagers they're good okay. um even though with a little buttery you know diacetyl flavor to it but it's just <laughs> part of the thing yeah. and um yeah so uh I, I can go very well with those um a couple things and we should wrap up here and let matthias go um as far as like mashing techniques, are you, I'm imagining you're not single mash. You're doing the double decoction, double, de, double, double, de double, double, triple. Mm-hmm. Okay. For, mm-hmm. for every beer. Um, almost all with the lager. Well, yeah, okay, sure. it's decoction as well, but yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, the decoction brings so much more flavor into the beer and, uh, we have yep. the time to do it. So yeah, we have the time cool. to do it. Yeah. This, this yeah. Doppelbach so is, is so flavorful and it's so just like with, with the Urbach, it's, it's well attenuated. Mm-hmm. But clearly, it's well attenuated, meaning that the final gravity is going to be higher. It's a, it's a big beer, and the oak, the oak smoke, it, it is. I, it, I get a different character to it than with the beechwood. Yeah, uh, and it's it's tasty and it's good, but it's also not. You know, like wine is aged in oak barrels typically, and oak can often be very tannic. But this doesn't have like that dry, you know, uh, oak can be harsh sometimes. This is very smooth and very integrated into the beer. Uh, and you can you get that oak smoke flavor, but it's not dominant, it, 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 if that makes sense, right? It, it, it doesn't, a, doesn't, yeah. doesn't poke out more than the actual beer. The beer itself is, is beautifully colored. It's totally clear. I, you know, it, it's different from the others, but... Yeah. Not in a way that makes it stand way off in you know a hundred feet away. You know, it's yeah. it's just a it's, it's in the same family. Yeah, but it's just a little bit different. You know, can we talk about the smoke difference? I'm getting like yeah, yes. a mellow kind of a bacony quality, but and the other is more like a, a distant campfire, just a you know foresty kind of woody. Yeah, I'm it's yeah. a little sharper, but it's it works with the box style because it balances that, and you're looking for that. Yeah, balance. I think, but for, I'd love to hear what Matthias has to say. For me, about oak that. smoke is a little sweeter. It has like a sweeter yeah. thing, and beechwood, um, mm-hmm. which my only experience is with uh, Schlinkerla beers, uh, in that regard, <clears throat> except for you know going on the Anheuser Busch tour and knowing that that's the only way to clarify <laughs> uh, Pilsner. So there's that. Um, and it's but beechwood is is more. It's it's sharper. It's uh, I don't want to say it's okay. not aggressive, but it's like. Uh, and it's not acidic, but that's the only term I, that comes to mind where it sticks out more. But oak it, to me is more smooth, more okay. more sweet, and it it does blend really well with that with that uh, yeah, aggressive really maltiness. And I mean aggressive in a in a complimentary way, not like a oh whatever, right? Um, <laughs> I think we've said opposite things. Like you're sitting, you're Did finding we? the beechwood. Yeah, I, okay. I found the the oak a little. That's all right. I'll fight times. you later. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. I'll drive over there. Right <laughs> but now. it is when, probably sweeter too. Yeah, I yeah. get that. When when we made the decision to try it, um, I mean, I read in old old books that uh, oak was one of the trees being used for for killing the malt, and mm-hmm. um, I said my my initial thought before we started to do it, to do it because you have this image of oak is this strong, powerful, old uh, uh, tree with, you know, the etched, uh, with the, with the uh, uh, branches being like really, yeah. you know, like, Brian, like your background. Like, like your background. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say like me, but you know. <laughs> yeah. So I expected actually to be more intense in the smoky flavor. You know, you, you, you uh, transfer that image into flavor, which obviously, yeah, yeah the the tree doesn't care about his image. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right. yeah. It, it it won't won't make a flavor out of that. Yeah. So it really turned out 
for whatever reason, I don't know that on a chemical level, but from, from the burning point of view that the, uh, the smoke is not as intense. Like even when you're standing in the kiln, you can notice that, that yeah. uh, it's a little bit more subtle on, on the smokiness. Maybe the burning value of oak is a little bit higher or so, or um, the, uh, uh, the 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 um, the rind is a little bit different. I don't know exactly, mm. but um, it's it's smoother from from that point of view. And um, also, the resulting malt is much smoother in the flavor. In fact, when you eat the malt, you have a hard time perceiving the smoke at all in the in in the oak mm. smoke. And yeah. so I said we need to do something like we did the malt first, and then we uh, debated about what kind of beer are we going to do with it. And um, when when I noticed that flavor, I said we need to something uh, intense with the flavor, not like uh, um, a four per four percent beer. We need to do a bock beer, a double bock beer, something of that sort. So I debated it with my head brewmaster, and we we had some ideas, and we made some trial runs, and it turned out that with a really high gravity uh, double bock beer, we get the best balance to that smokiness, and we get most of the most of mm. the smokiness itself. Yeah, so. Um, that's how the whole thing started. And um, now I'm coming back to uh, the new family members that are going to come this year. So we basically did the same. We looked into old records, what other trees were, were, were used. And um, a very common tree actually also was cherry. Mm. And um, so we made a cherry smoke malt. And from that one, we actually have some, some fruity flavors uh in, in in the smoke mode to some extent not like in the actual fruit obviously but it, it goes into that direction and in my um diploma works in mein stefan when i wrote on the history of uh, historic depictions of brewers and maltsters or of brewers here in in franconia um i was a lot in the city archive of nuremberg nuremberg south of bamberg wow. 50 oh, wow. kilometers um, which was in the Middle Ages, one of these centers of Germany. There was uh, Cologne, there was Nuremberg, Augsburg. Those were the three big cities. Berlin, Munich, nobody cared about at the time. <laughs> Hamburg also was very big. And um, Nuremberg was extremely leading in technology. Um, there's old depictions like the, the Nuremberg egg, um, which was the first pocket watch that was uh, uh, built oh, in wow. small size. And wow. that was 15th century, something like that. So God. really amazing. Uh, most famous son of Nuremberg is Albrecht Dürer, a painter who did, similar to, to Michelangelo, very life paintings of people. Yeah. And uh, so Nuremberg was an, an art and an, 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 uh, a, a technology center. center. Yeah. yeah. And they were famous for a type of beer called red beer. And that existed in all of Franconia, but Nuremberg got famous for it. And that red beer had a very special type of brewing. Like they were brewing for uh, uh, basically more than a day and preparation and doing the malt and this and that. And wow. And and, it, and it's also said that um, that red beer also had a little bit of like a fruity flavor to it and, and a lot of oh. berry aromas um, because of the hops, the way they used it. So I said, uh, that cherry aroma we have in the smoke malt is perfect for for that historic red beer style, red lager, I think you would call it these days. Yeah. So um, this new beer, um, yeah. our import in the states already has it, um, so they they're gonna start selling it anytime, I think. Um, it's called Echtlinger Weichsel. Weichsel is the German word for cherry tree, sour yeah. cherry. Um, and it's actually the Weichsel Red Lager and uh, Rotbier in German it has 4.6 ABV. Wow. Oh, I'm hearing more and, about Rotbier lately, and I've seen some homebrewed, homebrewed uh, Rotbier 
exactly and, yeah it's, it's it's become kind of fashionable yeah. um uh, i admit that yeah so maybe I, my idea got a little bit triggered into that <laughs> as well. i admit that uh, of cherry wood, smoked, smoked cherry wood has a wonderful aroma yeah and i i've had a couple of beers made with smoked cherry wood like on a homebrew level and it really does have a different and very pleasant and flavorful you know, flavor and aroma i think it's a great great way to go and I, I, I can't wait to try one of these yeah the challenge was actually to get the red color inside. That was the only thing that was. <laughs> I, I bet it was, yeah. It, because when you do red beers the modern way, you get the red malt from you know some some malting company, yep. and then you lose like I don't know seventy percent of the red malt, and then. But of course, that doesn't work when you want to work with your own cherry malt. So um, yes, we yeah. had to uh, trick a little bit, uh, not trick, but to train a little bit on that one and do several batches. But I think the outcome is really good. Do you have cool. like a, a pilot system there that you can do experimental batches? No, we no, do it on the live stream. Wow. wow. Yeah. And then just and go then for it. Takes, it. I takes... respect that. You just go for yeah. it on the, big, uh, the whole thing. Well, then it takes probably, what, four months, six months to figure it out because you have to logger it. Um, to get the final taste, yes, yeah. but usually after one or two weeks, you can say whether it goes in the right direction okay. or whether you need to adjust something. All right, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. Last thing, and then we'll let you go. We've already kept you two hours, and it's it's an hour longer than we normally do. So, I, and I do apologize, and again, thank you very much for your time. Tell me about the the Schlinkerla name because it's not really the name of the <laughs> the brewery when it started, right? If that if I understand that properly, that's correct. The official brewery name uh, used to be the brewery of the Blue Lion or the House of the Blue Lion. Later on in the 17th century, it was the Heller uh, Brauerei Heller. Um, you can see that on the label. Oh, there it is. Yeah, okay, Heller. Yeah. 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 So that's still the official company name. The name Schlenkeler uh, goes back to the second generation of my family. Also, you can see that on the label. You see this little guy here in the insignia. Uh huh. Yeah. And he has like a stick and a, and a beer mug in his glass. And this was Andreas Graser. Um, second generation uh, of, of my family and should be back there. Uh, oh, no, actually, he's not. Uh -oh. I have him on the other side. No, he's on the other side. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, it, that was a time when we don't have depictions yet uh, because these are old uh, pictures uh, or, or photographs, but from the others, we have pictures. Okay, okay. got you. So um, uh, Andreas Graza, according to legend, had an accident in the brewery. We don't know what happened, whether he fell over the wooden barrels or whether the brewery horses stepped on his toes or, or what, or maybe he drank too much of his own beer. But he <laughs> was all three. He, or maybe all three <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Or, the, or maybe the brewery horse. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure one begat the other. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe the brewery horse was, was drunk or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, anyhow, he was limping afterwards. And in, in German, when someone limps and, and, and dangles his arm, this is called schlenkern, like uh, an un, uh, a dangling walk, an uneven gait, okay. like a drunk person would walk. Sure. And so the, uh, since he also was the patron of the tavern, obviously, the regulars gave him the nickname, the Schlenkeler, which is the little dangler. <laughs> that literally means the that's little what, dangler. That's what my wife calls me, but I don't know why. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. TMI, Jason. Well, Andreas Graza had 14 children, so I don't think that was his problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my. Okay. Today he I, would get a reality series. Uh, right. Probably, yeah. <laughs> the Aussie of beer. Yeah. yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, so so, so and anyhow, he was called the Schlenkeler. So that was his nickname, his fun name. Yeah. And people said, let's go to Schlenkeler, and they meant the person. And over time, it became synonymous right. for the tavern and for the beer. Oh, man. And again, 
it was Michael Graza, his son, who made the decision to actually name the product on the labels and that and, and put the name Schlenkerler there. He even got Schlenkerler trademarketed in the 1920s already, which was nice. really, really early. Like wow. we still have a trademarketed today, but um, he was really early on. I, just, I don't think any other local craft brewer, small brewer at the time would think of something like a trademark. Yeah. yeah. Do you think yeah. of yourself as a craft brewer or just like a, or more historical preserver? Historical preserver. Yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mainly because it's hard to define what a craft brewer really is. Uh, there's so many different uh, approaches to it. There's uh, the creativity of creating new flavors, of trying out crazy recipes which work in the end. Um, that's not something I do. Then there's the craft brewer who is really keen on the craft, on how to handle things and how to do things perfectly in the brewery. I think that's something I could relate to and we'll go into. Um, but for that, I have excellent staff. Like I don't stand right. on, uh, uh, the, uh, on, in the brew house all the time. I need to answer my emails. Like guys. Yeah. Need <laughs> yeah. yeah sorry about that. Right. <laughs> that's that's okay. the, that's... Yeah. The analytical and the, yeah. yeah, just quality yeah. control side of things. Yeah. That's what you're leaning towards. Yeah. And you have people that do that and you oversee that and there make sure go. it's all cool. That's, exactly. That's so great. I do the historic research for new styles. I, I think the theoretical oh, wow. part on how we actually do the beer. And then I talk to my head brewmaster and then we uh, uh, like do occasional changes and stuff. And then yeah, we do, yeah. do the tastings together and we develop it from there. But the historic background comes from my end. I would and, argue that you have some, a, a, a creative side to, because you're bringing in so a, a number of new things, you know, with the research and knowing, okay, this is going to be something cool and something from the history that you revived or whatever, but you're bringing in creative aspects that weren't there 20 years ago. And, you know, it's going to be part of the legacy going forwards. Um, you know, what will survive? What will the next generation do with it? We don't know, but uh, you know, it's, it's fun that you, you're steering the ship and you're doing some, some yeah. fun things, but the merits in is still where it's all at and that you keep that as consistent with the history as you absolutely can. And, yeah. you know, that's and you great. New beers are great. Yeah. I mean, everything is awesome yeah. every time, you know, and I know you were talking a little bit about influences and, uh, when we were talking about craft beer and uh, when I made my funny joke. <laughs> um, I know a couple of smoked beers that are very, very popular in the U.S. that were directly influenced from from you. I know like yeah. Rogue Smoke, uh, the Alaskan Porter, which has happened to be done by the same guy. But still, it's like those kinds of things that are iconic in the craft beer world are direct, uh, direct, uh, directly reflected from Schlenkerla beers. And it's, it, I don't know, it's just such an awesome moment to be able to talk to you i really appreciate the time you're taking matthias it's uh you know incredible yeah. i love yeah, it th I love thank the beer. you so much matthias yeah. thank thank you very much and i i really feel honored the way you see it and i mean it's it's not my works it's the works of the guys back there and uh well. i try to continue it to the best of my abilities and the way it's appreciated by uh guys like you and yeah. also by some of those copiers <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it's, it's not something i drink i can't drink it every day myself but like yeah. when i'm educating a new round of people that are becoming beer judge this is a style you need to understand you bring it in and sometimes right. it's that wow beer it's like an eye opener and they're just like they either love it or hate it and it's just like wow that's so different from anything yeah. i've ever tasted yeah. and when i'm educating a new round of beer judges they absolutely need to understand the bamberg smoked beer and it's it's always your beer here so yeah, yeah exactly well and then when my daughter 
interviews your son, Matthias. I feel like <laughs> they will both reflect on where we've been. <laughs> Remember when our dads were talking about <laughs> stuff? No, Matthias, we feel very honored that to yeah, be able to talk to you. And it's it was it it, it was really exciting for all of us. And I know I was a little ner- little, little nervous about wow, I get to talk to the, the Schlegerlach uh, brewer, and it's it, it's an honor and really a. a, a, a privilege and really a, a wonderful thing for us to be able to talk to you so thank thank you very much yeah thank you we'll thank we'll, you very much. we'll let you get out of here matthias i i really appreciate it. everybody go to schlinkerlaw.de um and it's dot don't com, worry, dot com works also dot com works also okay don't worry it's in english everybody or just Even google it beer.com for americans you know smokebeer.com <laughs> it's on the bottle it works google we'll will will correct your spelling it's fine and it's it's really such a tr- uh, a treasure trove of, of beer history yeah. not only again it's smoke but uh just in general and yeah. uh matthias yeah thank you very much i really appreciate uh your, your time right here is where we need to challenge the american homebrewers to clone the, the Schlenkerle Rauchbier, the yes. Mersen, and sure. get it just right where we could taste it side by side. That's usually that's what right. that's usually what we you do, know. Matthias. Is we judge uh, home brewers. Actually, our next show we'll have a home brewer on, and we have instead of you, we'll have the home brewer, and we they get to ask questions yeah. of these guys because these guys know what they're talking about. I just make shit up. And uh, but <laughs> we took a detour because we recently we're super passionate, I guess, about smoke beer, and it's of course smoke preservation, smoke beer preservation day coming up next month. So I thought it'd be right. fun. Okay. Anyway. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, we'll, we'll we'll let you go and and, and say goodnight to your family. <laughs> Thank you so much for having Matthias. me and in, yes. enjoy the Smoke Beer Preservation Day and uh, the first of Smoke Beers. And if any of you, also your viewers, have some more uh, informational needs, um, the contact form on the Schlenkerler side, I usually answer those emails very quickly. <laughs> you do. But, Absolutely. So, you may and, regret and, saying that, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matthias. Thank you very much. All Take right. care. Yeah, Thank Bye. you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Are you kidding yeah. me? Are you kidding wow. me with that great show? show. It's it two hours. Should we just split this into, into, into like two shows? Two hours. Yeah. It doesn't. Maybe. No. Incredible. We didn't really talk but, too Matthias much. Matthias is such a nice guy, and he's Dude, such a fountain of information about everything. And yeah. What, what, a, what an amazing real, guest. Real history. This is my, my favorite Dr. Humber episode we've ever recorded. Absolutely. Mine, yeah, yeah I, I, mine, I have yeah. to agree with you with, with, with that, Brian. That's amazing. That. Um, should we split this into two fucking shows? Let's talk about it later. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about it later. <laughs> we'll um, take a break. Um, yeah, let's get at We're going we to get out of here. Into the show. We're going to end the show and get out of here. Tell people where to send their homebrew to. That's but, right. Yeah. That's what we have to do. <laughs> if you want to be on the show, uh, you don't have to be as knowledgeable as Matthias, but it does help. Uh, enter, uh, enter, enter Brian at the brewingnetwork.com into your compose <laughs> section email of your email. Whatever you want. Yeah. I've had smoke beer all morning. What do you want from me? Um, uh, anyway, send an email to Brian at the brewing network.com and we will take anything you've made at home. Uh, you know, not like a birdhouse or anything, but, uh, you know, crowd. Sauerkraut. Look, if you make uh, fucking kimchi. sausage at home, we'll make fucking we'll, we'll eat sausage. I don't yeah. really care. Um, How about that? We'll beer, dump it in some beer and wine, uh, we'll see what happens. Kombucha, anything you want. Whiskey. Brian at the Brewing Network.com. And, uh, and we'll get you on the show. It'll be great. If you are listening live, stay tuned because I do believe we have uh, another beer, <laughs> another show. Ben. I think we're doing another show. We have ben, ben. Are you watching? Yeah, Ben. Are we still planning on doing that? Okay, we can do that. I don't know. I'll talk to you. We'll talk to you guys after the thing. Um, I mean, Ben's probably been hanging on like, yeah, motherfucker, I, I want to do this. Anyway. Well, we did originally have a book for noon, and now it's 12, 17. So. Well, that's, we're not, that's not too bad. That's, considering it's us, that's pretty good. Yeah. Cool. Right? All right, we're going to get out of here. Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. And until next time, we'll see you later.